Friends and family, it's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower, a podcast where two friends talk about the things that they are hyped on. And once again, we are going with King and Black side stories. And this is side stories from ongoing titles instead of dedicated miniseries this week from Will. And I've got the very end of Nomon by Nick Harkaway, finishing off a long, long series on this. My name's Steve Storman. I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Joining me via the miracles of modern technology, as always, from Santa Barbara, California, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what's good? Hi, man. I am chilling. It's, uh, what, what is going on? What is going on? My stomach really hurts. I, I am. I mean, it's no one's fault but my own. Uh, <laughs> Eat the wrong Twitch thing or workout. too much of. Oh. No, yesterday's Twitch workout had a lot of crunches. Oh, the good, the a good lot kind of, planks, of stomach hurting. Okay, a lot of Russian twists. <laughs> like when I stretch, my core is like, nah, we don't, <laughs> we don't do that yet. We don't. <laughs> We're good with compression right now. Yeah, but yeah, man, things are going pretty well. You'd think that after seven days of life. There would be things to talk about, but like, you know, sometimes. Not always, yeah. <laughs> you got work. Uh, you but got... hey, we got a three-day weekend. Happy happy Milk Day. Happy MLK Day. Hell yeah. I always, every Martin Luther King Day, I feel like it's time to reshare that gift from Boondocks. Somebody sitting in a chair thinking, saying, you know, if Martin Luther King were alive today, he would. And then the chair flies from off screen and the kids start beating him down. <laughs> Man, Pudox was fun. They actually, in their universe, MLK survived. That's and amazing. He's hanging out. He hangs out with the family for an episode. Hell yeah. It's very random. That's fantastic. Oh, man. But yeah, how was your week? Similar. You know, it's winter. There's not a lot of, you know, and it's pandemic. So there aren't really a whole lot of like good reasons, good occasions to to do things. But had a nice morning, grabbed a bagel, ate it in the park on a bench, sitting out watching um, the lake is frozen, watching children just like walk across that bash the ice with a stick, adults yelling at the children, you know. City life, park stuff. It was a good time. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I had a bowl of cereal on my couch. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, just five minutes ago, finished watching Eternals. Mm, and right. It's on Disney Plus now. It's on Disney Plus now. Yeah. And I am finally all caught up with MCU for the first time since, since the start of the pandemic, I guess. And since things were things started coming out like i think black widow was the first one no i didn't black widow was disney plus yeah streaming only oh um, yeah i i didn't see that until I didn't mix no they did a hybrid release something like that yeah black widow. so i saw that one in the theater but yeah i didn't see that one until a couple months ago so this was the last thing 
that uh, that hadn't seen yet. So um, once again, we haven't talked. You 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 saw No Way Home. I saw yeah, I saw No Way Home. Excellent. I saw I saw it. Oh, we did uh, talk about the, it. We did. I saw it at the drive-in with the in the drive-in. That's right. With the skyscrapers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes. Right. 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 Man, well, welcome to 100% MCU, man. It <laughs> feels welcome good. back. It feels good to be back. <laughs> feels good to be back. I guess yeah. there are like, you know, three or four seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I also haven't seen, but those are quickly becoming decanoned. So Yeah, with every with <laughs> with every actor from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that they <laughs> recast in the MCU. Uh-huh. It's like, well, okay. All right. <laughs> as as sort of spoiled for a the post credit scene of Eternals, we get Patton Oswalt as an uh, cast in the MCU, which is fun. Oh, was he playing Pip? Yeah. That's Patton amazing. Is, is Patrol, oh, that's which perfect. Which is so great, right? <laughs> Oh, it's such a great casting. I'm so down with that. I mean, the other mystery so, casting guess, was... Yeah. I, I hate also that we're just jumping well straight into the post I know. Yeah. I know. It's because, dude, well, with most MCU movies, a lot of times the thing that stands out the most is the reveals in the like post credit stuff. Which is... which I, I, I hate that. You know, I mean, it's just like yeah. the reason that you watched this three hour movie was to watch the commercial for the next movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that was the whole reason why the Wolverine existed was to do a post credit scene to bring him back with old man Patrick and old man Ian McKellen to say, hey, we're going to need to travel through time. Yeah. And we'll see you in the next movie. No. And then... <laughs> And I'm just like, I'm not going to watch a shitty movie to to uh, X-Men franchise. Yeah. You've burned me enough times before. Although I still want to see New Mutants. I know it's I know it's bad. Mm. I don't care. I love Yeah, it's I, not I, great. I just really but like mm. there's a take on Ileana that I think Anya Taylor-Joy does a pretty good job with. I do like Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay. But current Ileana is nothing like Yeah, classic Ileana. Yeah. Is also nothing like current Ileana. Yeah, I, I like the idea of like a horror movie. You know, you're doing all, I mean, that's kind of what I thought the first Doctor Strange was going to be when they got Scott that's what, yeah. to direct. But it feels like they strayed away from that in the execution of New Moons. I mean, everything about the Fox verse is straying away from any sort of single coherent vision. But <laughs> yeah. <it's true. laughs> Ah, yeah. So anyway, we might we might talk about Eternals at the very end of this pod if we have time. Yeah, I think I think there's some there's some fun takeaways. I've got some I've got some off the cuts, tough thoughts about it just as a movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like actually thinking about the 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 meat of it, the three hour part, not the five minute part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind running by you. Sure. Yeah, I'm super down. Yeah. Another Eternals book coming up in a few weeks, too. Yeah, Kieran Gillen wrote it. So that's fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always enjoy Kieran Gillen with some some high, heady, you know, mythology. Yeah, he just he he's a fun read. Yeah. Almost every time. Yeah. You should read I, I know you're never gonna read anything that's not Marvel, but you should <laughs> read Wicked and the Divine. Okay. It it's really good. It's Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. It's 
just deep, deep lore mythology. Basically, every 90 years, a pantheon of random gods are reborn into Mm. present society. And within two years, they're all dead. And so it's just kind of like the cycle of this, finding out what they're supposed to do while they're around and sort of dealing with the tragedy, but also sort of the fame. Like they're not reborn as people. They're they're reborn through people, but they are meant to be gods. They're meant to inspire, to, you know, attract devotion and all of that. And so in modern society, they're pop stars. And it's Kieran Kieran Gillen combining his two favorite things, which is mythology and pop music. And it's a lot of fun. You have like your Kanye West type. You have your like metal guy. You've got your, (laughs) I don't know. There's just, they they just jumps way into so many great archetypes and it's it's a blast. Yeah, it's really, really good. Awesome. Well, I mean, conceptually, I'm all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Once you get current with Marvel, this is the type of thing that we need to do. We need to To like, yeah, fill the time. You read something that I've read before. I read something that you've read before. Mm, And then mm -hmm. we can actually have, you know, conversations. Yeah, I guess that's that's how I know that you will eventually read Immortal Hulk. Definitely. When, yeah. when we're when we're doing these trades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. And and even the rest of Straczynski's Spider-Man, I'll read that for you too. Oh goodness. Man. Yeah, there's some good stuff in Straczynski's Spider-Man. He was <laughs> on there for such a long time, too. Yeah, I know. Oh man, I feel so bad for for just the way they did him. <laughs> did him dirty. I mean oh, man. Yeah. Well, should we hop in? Should Let's we do hop this? into it? Let's do it. Yeah. While we were talking. I figured out the last book that I I did read and I know why I forgot about it. Uh Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't bode well. Forgot about it because it was symbiote Spider-Man. All right. So, (laughs) which makes me so sad because I love Spider-Man. It's just, yes, these two, these two symbiote Spider-Man books have been so meh. Also they're, they're artists by Greg Land. So it's like, Hey, cool. Oh yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) were you were about to say something? Oh no no no! I I'll I'll start asking questions once we get to action. Once you're talking about Symbiote Spider Man, okay. Where are we starting? So we've got six books yes. today. Uh, we've got Black Cat Volume Four, Queen in Black. We have mm-hmm. Savage Avengers Volume Four, King in Black. <laughs> Spider Woman Volume Two, King in Black. Uh huh. Symbiote Spider Man One Shot, King in Black. I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> the Union which is called The Britannia Project. It's a one-shot. And it was advertised as a team that was formed to fight the King in Black. Okay. And so that's why I kept it in this, like, King in Black, like, set. Yeah. It doesn't... Spoilers, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then the last one is Volume 6 of Venom, King in Black. Mm, yeah like two things happen in it that i'm happy with and so okay we're just gonna move on. <laughs> okay so starting off with black cat black cat Do is it. fun and okay i don't know if the amount that i like this black cat series is mm-hmm. because it's black cat or because the writing is just that well done that like it's just a really fun read it's written by jed mckay 
And their first run in Marvel was a side a side story from X-Men to Serve and Protect number four. And it was a little a Dazzler run, a little yeah. five-page Dazzler short. Okay. And it was from, I think this was a Battle World situation, a Battle World type situation. Dazzler gets thrown in a death roller derby. <laughs> and and she has Misty and Colleen as her like bodyguards. And there's a crap ton of just random villains that are in this roller derby of death to that are trying to kill her. Like okay. <laughs> sure. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> right? gonna, I, so I, roller derby is enough of a phenomenon in the world that I'm glad that Marvel's finding its way to tell roller derby stories. Yeah. So that was Jed McKay's first run and the feel and the like giddiness and just the way the way they write these female characters are just really fun to to watch banter and stuff. So cool. I know most of my positivity is because of McKay's writing. Now that I've seen where sure. they came from. Yeah. yeah However, yeah. However. <laughs> it's also Black Cat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's see. I think we've covered some volumes of Black Cat before. Yes. She was fucking up Las Vegas and the, the sort of criminal underworld. She's become like a... a had something with the thieves guild craziness and yeah so she was trained by like black fox and the thieves guild in new york that is run by that lady with the half shaven head Mm -hmm. she doesn't play a part in this i really don't remember her name but (laughs) anyway so she's got thieves guild stuff she has her two like henchmen dr corpse and bruno excellent names yes Amazing names. And <laughs> basically, she gets thrown into King and in Black because a dragon shows up and, and Fs up her score that she was working on. Uh, okay. She was going through these like tunnels that are underneath New York. She has Spider-Man's spider buggy okay. because he doesn't use it anymore. And so, uh-huh. she, so she has put it to use, <laughs> is what she would say. <laughs> okay. So it's basically... Dragon shows up and she's like, what the hell? Somebody screwed me out of my score. I need to go and like exact my revenge on them. Okay. She goes up onto the regular streets and she sees there's just like a goo bath <laughs> going around town. <laughs> she sees Cap and and she's like, is this is this Venom stuff? stuff? She sees Cap. She's like, hi, you probably don't remember me, but we met before. And he's like, yeah, you're Felicia Hardy, right? Black Cat? Spider-Man's talked about you. And she goes, oh. <gasps> He has. <laughs> but, but anyway, so Black Cat has had her stints of trying to be a hero. Yeah. So she's going around doing her thing. She sees Doctor Strange fighting and she's like, oh, I should probably stay away from him. <laughs> I just recently stole from him. So yeah. I'm going to go this way. <laughs> While she's thinking that, she's like, honestly, I probably don't need to be here. The heroes always figure this out. They got mm-hmm. this. Doctor Strange is here. He's going to make something happen. And then he gets trapped in a giant ball of goo. And so in Thunderbolts last week, we see that giant ball of goo at the top of of, uh, Empire State Building. Yeah. And the theory is that's where Null is hiding out. Uh, Turns out that giant ball of goo is where Strange was being held. Oh, cool. Okay. And so the general storyline for... This issue or this volume is 
Black Cat is quote unquote hired or told to go and steal from Noel because Noel stole from her. And so sure. she's like, fine, <laughs> I'll, I'll steal from Noel. And so she, she's tasked with stealing slash freeing Dr. Strange. Nice. So she needs to get some help to do to deal with the goo. And so she goes and recruits this big science guy who's in a wheelchair who works for Alchemax. And okay. he had uh, created the latest version of Anti-Venom. Okay. Yeah. For those who don't fully know. <laughs> okay. Anti-Venom got first. <sighs> All right. So I have to Eddie say Brock, I don't fully know. That's fine. So the design of Anti-Venom is literally all the black is white and all the white is black. Yeah. And he's super skeletal and regular symbiotes burn at his touch, kind of like a man thing thing. Okay. And the first Anti-Venom could just could like cure any ailment. Okay. How did it come about? What was the origin of Anti-Venom? Okay, never mind. (laughs) Okay, it was either Axis or it was a Mr. Negative storyline. Oh, okay. Inversion. Yes, it's it's completely an inversion thing. And so Eddie lost the Venom symbiote. So at the time, the Venom symbiote is with Flash Thompson. Mm -hmm. Agent Agent Venom. Agent Venom. And Flash, or sorry, and Eddie gets either hit with the Axis like mind wipe thing or he gets it's he gets hit by mr negative's inversion thing but all of a sudden all of the like symbiote stuff that's like left in his body okay flipped and he turns into anti-venom and it's he it gets kind of played off as like a one-off thing but again it has a whole life (laughs) so (laughs) but anyway so he thinks that this is a deliverance from from God. And so he's at this church healing anyone who will come and see him. And so there's this kind of side story going on. He sees Spider-Man. He's like, oh my gosh, I can tell you have radioactivity in your blood. Let me heal you. Mm. And Spidey's like, "Uh, no, that's how I have my powers. Get the fuck away from me. (laughs) (laughs) This is not, this is not what we're doing here. And then Flash gets involved. He's like, dude, Eddie was going on. Then they touch. And then the Venom symbiote like burns away. Oh, wow. And so then we find out that, so this anti-Venom, literally it's like anti-symbiote that seems like that would have been useful during king and black it would it would (laughs) would. and so that was the the only at the time and then fast forward a bit you have alchemax so how did how did r&d department so he lost it just because plot had to happen so yeah like it it stopped basically yeah that's fine that happened like it wasn't because it's not a symbiote it sure. just kind of, it was like a phase okay. <laughs> of lack of a better phrase. But then that example got the R&D department at Alchemax thinking. And so uh, now they have this giant vat of like a synthetic anti-venom Oh, interesting. Thing. Okay, okay. And then we get agent anti-venom. <laughs> because at this point, Eddie you has just, the symbiote back. You just take all the Lego pieces and you mash them together <laughs> and you get all of the different pl- characters and all of the different costumes. I understand. Exactly. Yeah. So Venom is working with Alchemax at the time. It's it's the Waluigi principle. You've got a Wario, you've <laughs> yes. got a Luigi, you've got to make a Waluigi. <laughs> exactly. And so the the doctor, the scientist that has been working on this is this black guy in a wheelchair. And this is also where Venom birthed Sleeper. 
the little cat vet, the little cat symbiote that's hanging out with Dylan. Oh, okay. And Sleeper can produce any chemical agent, which is his uh, kind okay. of thing. Yeah. He's got pheromones and stuff. Anyway, so Felicia hires the, that scientist guy. just like, hey, you know symbiotes. Like, help me out here. And he's sure. like, How, what makes you think you can possibly steal, like, going free Doctor Strange? Uh-huh. And Felicia's like, listen, over the last few months, I have stolen from Doctor <laughs> Strange. Reed Richards, Danny Rand, Cade Kilgore, Tony Stark. Do I need to go on? <laughs> this is just another another gig for me. I'm going to go steal from a space god. <laughs> awesome. So, so scientist guy's like, okay, I, I've been working on these prototypes. I, they only last for so long. I only have a couple. Sure. And it's these little like anti-venom pods. Okay. And so like they're pod. shaped like little Pokeballs. Oh, okay. Yeah. They'll shape like little Pokeballs. You open it up and it'll attach and gives you a little anti-venom suit. So she she gets the, the pods and then she goes and recruits Bats, who is Doctor Strange's little ghost dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> two, two Doctor Strange titles ago, maybe three. Three? Yeah. So right before... Gosh, is this when he fights the empirical? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Doctor Strange was doing a vet clinic for a bit because he didn't have a medical license. Okay. And he has his dog, Batson. And in the first storyline, Batson dies. And the ghost of Batson is hanging out with Strange now. And so he lives at the Sanctum Satorum with with Strange and Wong. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, And Bats is awesome. He can talk. He, he, he's like, so the, any stories you've read with like Cosmo, in in, uh-huh. in like nowhere and stuff. Yeah. Same thing, but without the super powered telekinesis that okay. Cosmo has. Sure. So he's just he's he's got the personality of a dog. He just wants yeah. to be your friend. Yeah. He's very loyal. All nice. that good stuff. Okay, cool. So plan is get bats, get the um anti-venom stuff, have bats find strange in the goo and take Felicia to strange she can she can wear one of the anti-venom suits and then put the other anti-venom suit on strange and they can get out okay that's the plan they go with it and then we get anti-venom black cat which is which which just makes me excited because i love i love black cat variants i guess (laughs) 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 she starts to lose it because it's all darkness in this little thing and then bat shows up it's like hey i found him so she puts the the anti-venom on a passed out strange they get out you know, action sequence, save the day, explosions, nice. spider buggy, so on and so forth. <laughs> Excellent. Strange is still passed out, and they have the root, the last root of the of Yggdrasil that <laughs> so that Strange stole from Yggdrasil that he used to fight Loki. And Bats, Bats is just like, hey, you might need this. He used this to fight Loki, and we have a large war we're going to be fighting. This might be useful. So by the way, one of the nineties X-Men comics that I read recently had yet another thing made from a root of Yggdrasil. Wow. <laughs> Dude, like, Yggdrasil's just hoeing out. <laughs> <laughs> and so we end the rescue mission with the buggy being broken, them stranded kind of by central park or a park and dragons all around. And they're like, what do we do? Let's mm-hmm. let's gamble. Bats is like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Felicia's like, we gotta try. So okay. she takes the root, slams it on the ground, and then we get Asgardian Black Cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
the oh. same volume. All right. So, <laughs> so Asgardian Black Cat is extremely powerful. She's cutting up dragons left and right. And then we have Felicia in like a mindscape talking with the spirit of Yggdrasil, I guess. And because okay. Yggdrasil is, it's omnipotent and it's just like, hey, I can give you all the power ever. Just gotta like, let he's gotta like shake my hand and all this. I'll give you whatever you want. You could be happy. You could have your, your son back. You could have, and they basically spend like an issue and a half going through all of her, like her best hits. And it's like, you could have whatever you want. You could have the infinity gauntlet. I could give you that. I can give you what I can give. Yeah. I can give you all the power. I can give you all the fame. I can give you all the money. I can give you all the family you want. I can give you love. I could, I could give every single man that has ever loved you. I can, I can give that to you. And that was the kicker and she was like um no that's 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 not what i want how dare you think that that's what i want so on so forth basically just identity reassurance and then so she denies the magic strange is now awake and he's thoroughly impressed with felicia Uh, (laughs) just like yeah i mean even the the you know the strongest magicians freaking have trouble with this Uh, how as someone with zero magic like experience just let's 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 it go and she's like you know what it's all good <laughs> anyway so it ends with felicia being like okay i'm i don't mind helping out but like you gotta help my my guys get them out of here uh-huh. so strange teleports them out and then they go into the fight which we see end or, or we see what happens afterwards in king of black itself sure cool so the last issue is you don't know this person but she goes by queen cat but her, what is her regular name? Lily Hollister. Okay. She was introduced in Brand New Day. She was a love interest of like, of oh, Harry Osborn at the time. Okay, okay. And she became Menace during like, during some Green Goblin bullshit. Okay. So great. after Menace, she loses her memories. And then Roderick Kingsley finds her. Mm. Roger Kingsley is one of the is the original original hobgoblin, right? And he creates what he calls the Hob Heroes, and basically trains her to be the Queen Cat, and basically a negative copy of the Black Cat. Okay, so that all goes down, you know, for us years ago, but for them, yeah, not for. Oh, there was a there was a timeline established. Something happened 18 months ago. I think it might have been in Savage Avengers. I don't remember. I might have to come back to you on that like next week. (laughs) But but like there was an actual establishment of like 18 months between two time period comic book events. Yeah. Fucking they how they they always mess that one up. How dare they? And so, yeah, that's that's always regret doing that every time. Absolutely. Because you're going to have readers like me being like, yeah, but you said. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we get this like backstory following lily she basically has it out for black cat and is like there's no lily hollister there's only queen cat in order for me to be queen cat i need to get rid of black cat even though they have different names it is what it is what it is okay but she's convinced that she needs to get rid of felicia they she steals from felicia right after a hit and so felicia because she's a professional has fucking tracers on all of her scores so she finds her immediately she confronts her and she's like so what is your story oh wait i know you you're Mm -hmm. fucking you're you're lily what is this and she's like that's not that's not my name and then (laughs) so felicia's like you know what this is fun all right you know what i don't mind being your antagonist (laughs) go ahead i win this round 
get better. I'll see you next time. Oh. So, <laughs> so Queen Cat will be coming back at some point. Okay. I really don't like her character design. She's unique in the sense she's very tan and she has blonde hair. And okay. I just, that look just doesn't look amazing to me. <laughs> but like, you know, she's, she's like, she, it's like a dark skin with blonde hair. Just, yeah. It, it's a strange. Spend a lot of time in the me. tanning bed. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the last page is we see what we want and we cannot have, and our desires are infinite. A special preview of things yet to come by Nina Vacueva. So this is the preview for the future of Black Cat, and it shows mm. Black Cat on stairs in some dungeon type place. Black Fox is here. Star is here. Last mm. time we saw Star was on Thunderbolts. We have Black Fury here, and we have Thieves Guild Lady with the shaven head. With the right. Head. And yeah, so we'll see what that means. And she's cool. wearing a bunch of jewelry. Anyway, the next volume, I think actually I think it's volume six, volume five or volume six. Okay. The cover has Black Cat with the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, okay. I think it's called, I think it's called the Infinity Score. I don't know what's gonna happen, but we'll, right. we'll see. I mean, I if if McKay feels like they need to one up the story every single time, yeah, then I think this is going to get out of hand. But but it also now, seems like fun. they're just having fun with it. Like there's a certain right. amount of like if you're having fun as a reader, I will go along with that. Right, for sure. So this is this has been a lot of fun to read. Yeah, because like she's confident, and the trials that she goes through are literally just like, here's a puzzle. How do I figure it out? Like, yeah. remember when when you first played Prince of Persia and you were talking about how, oh like, God, how fun yes. it is to be in a room, see a ledge, and you're like, how do I get there? Yes. And, like, and also it bleeds over into real life. Like I'm walking, you know, like I was in college at the time and I'm just like walking up to my dorm room and I'm like, okay, like I, I jump from the bridge here to this window. I crawl along this, uh, you know, this balcony <laughs> up to this window, jump here, jump there. And then I'm just two climbs away from the roof. Cool. I got this. <laughs> right. Like that's how all of her scores have been portrayed so far. And it's cool. been so much fun. Uh, so I, I just sounds like they a blast. Yeah. I, I really like the black cat series. Cool. Savage Avengers. I <laughs> Yeah. You don't like Savage Avengers at all. <laughs> Not so much. Yeah, Savage Avengers hasn't been great. And I think this actually might be where the time frames. Anyway, doesn't matter because <laughs> I don't understand how Conan gets everywhere. <laughs> He's literally just a guy. But during King and Black, he is locked up in a jail. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Deadpool gets thrown in jail. And uh-huh. they like break his hand and he heals. And Conan's like, Oh, you heal like Logan does. Because Wolverine was in the first volume of Savage Avengers. Sure. In the Savage Land. And Wade's like, oh, yeah, you know him? He's like, yes, I, I know I know Wolverine. We're like war buddies, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's like, cool. That's awesome. And he's like, oh, you heal? He's like, well, I heal faster than him. But yeah, I, I you know. Yeah. He's like, okay, well, then let's get out. So, so, the only, so Conan shoves Deadpool through the bars. <laughs> <laughs> of the jail cell. That's beautiful. It's it's so nasty. But he just, like he just pushes them all the way through, and then he's like, "Heal up, go save us." <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man. But anyway, so you know, there's you know, there's your plot line with dealing they, they come across dragons and then they have <laughs> hey, imagine that. team ups here and there. And then they come across the Marauders and get sidetracked by that. And this basically happens after the issue of Marauders and mm-hmm. after they hit land. Okay. So they their mission is still to go get Storm and, and Cyclops. Right. They get sidetracked by Deadpool and Conan and this other guy. I think it seems like Nightflyer or some shit's boring. <laughs> and they have a little fight. And when they're fighting the dragons, Conan kind of gets a symbiote, but it's just like a symbiote that he keeps on like as a glove. Okay. Basically, that's kind of their partnership. And so he uses the symbiote to change it into different weapons that he needs. And so he goes up against Iceman and he turns the symbiote into a ice pick hammer and just like shatters him. Okay. And Conan is thoroughly impressed with the with Iceman's ability to rebuild himself and talks he talks about how Iceman is a descendant of the frost giants of Emir because that's his frame of reference. Sure. But he's sitting here telling Bobby that he's not living up to his like frost giant potential. Of course the, the endless story with Bobby. I know. Right. Poor and guy. so isn't it enough to just be yourself. <laughs> I, I know that it's only 100% my own head canon that Bobby has ADHD, but like what a terrible thing to tell somebody with ADHD. <laughs> ah, I know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh man. And so you know how the typical superhero team up is you fight and then you go fight the real, the real yeah. enemy. Yeah. So the six of them, uh, well, so actually it's not even the six of them. It, it, cause it's not the three Marauders you would expect. It's Bishop, Iceman and Callisto. Oh, interesting. Are I didn't know, I didn't yeah. know Callisto had joined the team. She's not because okay. she she was at the end of the Marauders issue on the island where the refugees were. Oh, okay. So, because she's the white bishop, a white knight. Okay. And so she, because she's been working with slash for Emma, and yep. so that explains right. why she was on on Island M. It doesn't explain why she's here in New York with the Marauders, but whatever. I remember. I remembered something about Callisto, by the way. So one of the ways that Emma got her working for her is, is the, the, that jacket and sort of that fashion connection, right? Mm -hmm. Callisto, there was a storyline where Callisto had lost her memories and had been healed to like all of her like scars and wounds and stuff. And she was a model for a little while, and she was right. dating an amnesiac Colossus. Oh, I don't know if she was with Colossus. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you'd you mentioned that when that mutant designer got yes. to design yes. something for her. Yes, yes. Okay. I forget his name. Yeah, Jumbo something Carnation. Like Jumbo Carnation, I had, yes. I had forgotten that I had remembered that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Good job past me. Hell yeah. Oh man. But yeah, so they're here. And then so Iceman getting serious is him on top of this tower, bunch of dragons coming in. He makes a slide for everyone to get away. And 
This caption says, for the first time in recorded history, New York became the coldest place on the planet. <laughs> and he freaking is a window shattered for blocks in all directions. Those who huddle in buildings nearby press themselves together and listen to the sound of the ice crystal slamming together. Um, they said it sounded like screaming. Iceman oh fought God. long enough for his friends to escape with into the whiteout. And he basically like just like ices the crap out of these dragons. And he gets really big. So fun stuff. These are the kinds of scenes that I wish were like in the background in regular mm. or like give me like one cell of it in the like montage yeah. of the King in Black. Yeah. Because there are some big scenes in these side books that I feel like would have made a spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> More yeah, so totally. in the Venom book. Two things happen in the Venom book that I'm like, we should have seen this, <laughs> but it, it's fine because it happened in in, in a book and it's right. not just completely off screen. So it's whatever. Sure. The only other thing to write home about about uh, Savage Avengers is they use the Hellfire Club as their like home base. Okay. And Conan is like, I like this castle. <laughs> this is mine now. Send. Oh. Go, <laughs> Marauders, uh, I, I ask nothing of you, but send Logan my way. Have him have him come see me. And so Logan shows up and he's like, what's up, Conan? What's going on? And he's like, listen, I don't want payment. Cause, so Deadpool took payment and Nightflyer took payment. And mm-hmm. Conan's like, I don't, I don't want any payment. I'm fine, but I'm keeping this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's just like, listen, I like it. It suits me. This place makes me happy. I'm keeping the Hellfire Club. <laughs> <laughs> and Logan's like, okay, it's not me you need to be asking this to, but I'll put in the I'll put in the good word. I'll go talk to Emma and 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 see what she says. <laughs> wow. But okay. <laughs> and he's like, fine, do whatever. I'm having a drink. So anyway. <laughs> It sounds like Conan can be a very fun character in certain situations. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So post King and Black, Conan still has the symbiote like sword knife weapon thing. Okay. We get a little more Kulan Gath. Kulan Gath is the cannibal sorcerer. Honestly, they should just send Kulan Gath to fucking Canada. Let him turn into a Wendigo and just be done with it. Oh, now it all clicks. Anyway, uh. okay. so Kulin Gath is, is a cannibal. He takes on the powers of the people that he eats. And mm-hmm. he ate the Sorcerer Supreme of his time, which <sighs> I still refuse to accept that Samaria and and Krom and all this crap are regular 616 earth but sure that is that is the official timeline so it is what it is but sure he ate the sorcerer supreme of his time because the sorcerer supreme wouldn't oh because the sorcerer supreme before them did not choose him to be the sorcerer supreme right so just some petty ass bullshit yes <laughs> and so he's going around wants to rule the world typical bullshit stuff yeah. he revives this guy who was killed in like the first volume. It's not that big of a deal. It's just okay. he's something. Come back at some yeah. But we get a conversation between Emma and Conan. Emma shows up and she's just like, huh. And at the time, Conan is in the middle of burning this painting of Shaw. And so she's like, you know what? I like what you're doing with the place. <laughs> just... <laughs> 
as things are right now, I'm, I'm not a big fan of you taking my property without buying it. However, the prospect of Logan owing me a favor is too delicious to pass up. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to let this one go. I'll see you later. Okay. Then there's a team up with Conan and Ghost Rider. And Conan remembers Ghost Rider conceptually because in his time there was a Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And that Ghost Rider was riding a giant monster tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he's like, I've seen your work. You do good work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Ghost Rider tries to do penance stare on Conan. He gets knocked and then. He tries again, and Conan's like, no, F you. And and freaking mountains Ghost Rider's eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it, I mean, Ghost Rider's a skull, so, like, I don't imagine that doing much until uh-huh. you, like, actually break the skull. But, right. yeah. <laughs> so on and so forth. People who are falling asleep or having nightmares because Nightmare's trying to reach out to Conan to be like, Hey, Conan, Cool and Gaff is gathering forces. It's not looking good. You uh you're gonna need some help. I don't know why Nightmare's getting involved. I feel like they yeah. that <laughs> cynically, I think Nightmare just needed some screen time because Nightmare is gonna be in the next mm. Doctor Strange movie. Mm-hmm. Especially because so Conan takes that warning, goes to Doctor Strange and is like, hey. Night- nightmare visited me i'm gonna need your help and strange is like i'm working with someone right now but yes come on in i'm sure i believe you're acquainted with shumagorath <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right yeah and it says next is house call so strange is working with shumagorath for some reason and I don't know why any of this is in Savage Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it it kind of feels like they're using Savage Avengers to tell Conan's story, yeah. but they're not giving it the Conan title. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't fully understand. Yeah, that's a good point. Spider-Woman, King in Black. It's volume two. In the first volume, we we met Mar- Marchand, who's apparently her brother, and he hires right. her. He, he like disables the serum that's in her that was saving her life. So she would be motivated to help find a serum because the same thing that is afflicting her is afflicting Marchand's daughter and genetically has a potential to afflict her son, Jerry. Yes. And then we got that, like, and then all the crazy family drama, her family bullshit. Her mom, her mom is alive, but then it turns out her mom's a clone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. all because of high evolutionary bullshit anyway we spend volume two of her looking for high evolutionary because she's pissed so sure she has this booster drug that that fights the infection but also makes her incredibly angry okay like loose cannon out of control bitch okay. so we have her she goes to she borrows a Spaceship from Tony Stark and recruits Carol to go to counter earth to go and find the high evolutionary high evolutionary is not there. She beats up some of the uh, animen that are there out of anger. She leaves them, goes back to earth. Carol then recruits her 
to help fight symbiotes and the king in black. And she's pissed because she's like, why aren't you letting me do my thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, as we know, the symbiote's current weakness is magic and, and, and electricity. So her venom blasts are doing great. And so yeah. Jess is like, oh, you only brought me in because of my energy blasts. Why aren't you doing anything? And 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 Marvel says, listen, Cap wanted me to reserve, you know, reserve my energy for like the next big attack, blah, blah, blah. And she's mm-hmm. like, it's bullshit. And so she's angry, burning bridges, goes and gets recruited. Uh, the, the old lady from the first volume that I thought was a one-off, who is the daughter of the man that she, that Jess was a Hydra double agent supposed to sleep for and then killed. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> her, she shows up, and she's and, you, and so we we met her when she was trying to steal a spider that the venom originally came from, and we were under the impression that there was only one left, and mm. it died in that issue. And then old lady shows up, and she's like, "Actually, I mean, it's aim. There's there's still <laughs> dozens left. Let's go get them." Sure. So they go and steal. They do a smash and grab with aim. They do a smash and grab at Avengers compound because that's where all the research that was done on Jessica was done. Mm-hmm. She fights Rhodey and Rhodey's like, come on, man. Like you're, you're not being a good person. She's like, fuck <laughs> off. So she, she burns all these bridges and then she teams up with old lady and then old lady's daughter is there hanging out with high evolutionary and Jessica Drew's just like, Holy crap, it's high evolutionary. Fix me. High evolutionary is like, yeah, I know. Let's 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 work on that. I'm doing a bad job of telling <laughs> the story because it was a bad story. So sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. High evolutionary has dozens of clones of Jessica's mom just hanging out. And Jessica's pissed. <laughs> and he's like, Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they were a flawed clone because. They, they completely hated you and the programming got twisted and all this other bullshit. But if you cease their higher motor functions, they're great, like, servants. <laughs> so he basically just has them do, all doing his bidding and they, like, they only speak one sentence at a time kind of thing. Sure. Anyway, so High Evolutionary is willing to help and the cure is going to be in a shining green light beam. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, I thought <laughs> it was going to be an injection, but, you know, it is what it is. Also... All of my, every time I've come across Herbert Wingham or whatever his last name is, Wyndham. Wyndham, yeah. He's mentally, he is, he has quote unquote evolved past normal conversation. And he's always like looking down on the subjects that he's talking to. Yes. And he's always like this holier than thou asshole. Yeah. He was not that in this. He was like, he's just kind of the, the person that they chose, well, it's not that they chose, it's the person they had to use because that was Jessica's origin story. Right. And because this is the story that this author wanted to tell, he had to use High Evolutionary. But he's very conversational, he's very helpful, he's very supportive. <laughs> like, it's just a very strange take on him. Sure. So he's trying to help Jess. He gets betrayed by the old lady. Old lady kills her daughter. Turns out the daughter was just a clone anyway. And you get this backstory on like, I couldn't have a kid and I've been working with High Evolutionary and we've been iterating and iterating at what age 
a good daughter would be. And so I tried having a baby and it kept on screaming, throwing tantrums. So we killed it. And then we, I tried having, <laughs> yeah, I tried having a little kid and she kept on not listening to me and throwing tantrums. So we killed it. And then I tried oh having a teen. She got lippy and attitude And so we oh got rid God. of her. And so now I've got this lady that's post, she's a young adult in her late twenties, you know, post-college, blah, blah, blah. And she wasn't the perfect daughter. So I killed her now. So it's just, ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> and then fights 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 blah 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 venom blasts montage all of the mom clones are tricked into falling into a, into vats of of lava old lady gets turned gets hit with a different beam of light from the high evolutionaries machine that turns her oh they oh, it doesn't matter okay <laughs> Stegron was involved. Yeah, <laughs> so, Stegron. There, there was there was like a five page stint in one of the issues where they went and stole from Stegron. Anyway, okay. so Stegron's serum gets thrown in, and so old lady turns into this like nasty dinosaur looking thing. And then Herbert Wyndham says, "I'm sorry," and cures her. So Jess is cured now. And then we get the last four issues of her going around and apologizing to everyone and everyone taking her back. So all the bridges she burned are rebuilt by the end of the issue. Mm -hmm. And all of the damage that was dealt to Jessica in the first volume is now undone. And all of the characters that we introduced in the first volume are now, (laughs) uh, are now dinosaurs and unintelligible. And yeah. (laughs) Sounds like, sounds like the book got canceled to me. It was only 10 issues and it was so unnecessary. I don't know. I mean, it sucks because the last Spider-Woman run was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was the whole her having her kid and then all of the troubles that can happen from childbirth. Yes. Also, there was like half of an issue of Tangential King and Black stuff. So to give it the side title issue of King and Black is a little bit of a misnomer but <laughs> she's raging it's fine whatever do you yeah <sighs> single spider-man the reason why i hated it is because partially <laughs> because it's greg land partially because it's set in the past so now it's it's awake peter holding the symbiote wait so this so this is this so it's telling the story of 616 peter in the past while he was infected with the symbiote initially while he had the symbiote yeah okay mm-hmm. all right and there's this there's this implication throughout the book that everything is both ways in the sense that so Uatu is hanging out watching the world and then Uatu gets kidnapped by Kang and Kang is like you've seen everything i want to download your knowledge into my machine and while that's happening Uatu's like, I can feel him downloading my knowledge, but I can also see his knowledge. And so, <laughs> so Uatu is now looking at everything that Kang knows of the future and the past and all this other ridiculousness. Okay. And there's like a feedback loop and it overloads the, the machine. So that happened. And then shadows come down on Ravencroft for some reason. And this new symbiote gets sort of created and Pete is there in his symbiote suit and the symbiote is super excited and he calls himself Mr. E. Oh no. 
Oh, yeah, it's great. And Pete loses it. And he's like, oi, Mr. E, not Mystery Man, not Major Mystery, Mr. E. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) And so the symbiote, the new symbiote, which looks like it's it's this from the cover, just no definition, all black with glowing light blue eyes, (laughs) like tendrils and stuff. Yeah. He calls Pete brother because he knows that he's a symbiote and he's talking about how we got to get ready and get in touch with our God and yada, yada, yada. Black Knight shows up and the Ebony Blade can deal damage to the symbiote. And so Mr. E tries to get away. And then while King is floating in space because his ship blew up because of the computer thing, Rocket Raccoon finds him. And he's like, hey, what's going on? What is this? What's going on? So anyway, Pete teams up with the Black Knight to try to track down Mr. E. Somehow Mr. E gets in space and they end up going to nowhere. And so Pete and Black Knight come across Kang and Rocket and they're like, hey, we got to go to nowhere to fight Mr. E. So they go fight Mr. E. Cosmo hangs out and helps out this, that, and the other bullshit. The reason why this doesn't... So I'm I'm, I'm losing my mind this entire time <laughs> because all of a sudden we have Rocket and Pete meeting, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. That, that completely breaks continuity. And, oh, Captain Marvel... Photon Monica Rambeau is involved. I forget how she shows up, but doesn't matter. Anyway, they're all dealing with shit. And Kang sends Mr. E to the collector. Okay. So Mr. E is now part of the collector's collection. Oh, Mr. That's right. Mr. E stole the ebony blade. And he's going to nowhere to this woman, Ulisha, who is a troll and can destroy enchanted weapons. Okay. Ulisha, turns out, is the sister to Ulik the troll. Ulik is a, an age-old Thor baddie. Yeah. And they have and and they have this like troll tradition that siblings fight each other and kill each other to find out who's the strongest sibling. And so they start to fight, and then the others get involved and they save Ulisha and they stop Ulik. This, that, and the other bullshit. Uatu actually gets involved a few times, exhibits a lot of power. And so you've got this like four-way fight between Ulisha, Ulik, the heroes, and then <laughs> Noel gives Mr. E power. And so Mr. Oh e God. breaks out of, of the collector's collection. And so they, they're all fighting again. They destroy Mr. E because Photon powers up the Ebony Blade and it like dissipates mr e so they've introduced mr e and he dies and then the heroes all hang out and then they go about their separate ways then uatu goes and erases their memory of everything that happened all right what pisses so what bugs me is that this is a one shot that nobody remembers so like it technically happened right but nobody knows it happened right except for uatu so that didn't it didn't need to happen (laughs) <laughs> and on top of that, well, I guess the spirit of the Ebony Blade remembers because there's a reference to it in the the one issue, one shot of Black Knight. But in the other volume of Symbiote Spider-Man, we have the Venom Symbiote learning how to do basic magic. And I thought that was going to play into King of Black, or at least in this volume or something. And that has been forgotten, even though it's not forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> 
So obnoxious. So obnoxious. All right. Oh, boy. We have the Union Britannia project. Yeah. Let's move along. <laughs> yeah. This was a one shot and it introduces some characters that are new to me. I don't, I think they're new to the, to the world, but like Britannia is kind of Captain Britain slash Captain America. Okay. In terms of like design. Yeah. But she, she's very reminiscent of like the Marvel wonder woman. If you don't include Zarda, the power princess, (laughs) (laughs) but she is here to gather a team of heroes from the four countries of Britain. She puts together Kelpie, the choir and snakes. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't know what their powers are yet, but basically the choir kind of is basically Banshee. Sure. Okay. She can create sonic vibration booms. Kelpie is a water demon. And that's like from traditional Welsh Welsh mythology, right? Yes. Yes. And she is a good person. She's like a hero. She controls water, but she also has very little concern for human life. Cool. (laughs) Snakes is is kind of like the big muscle of the group. Every group needs one. He he speaks in thoughts and his speech boxes are diamonds. Huh. Okay. And this is actually the page that we find out. He says, I am snakes. And we find out that he's literally just a bunch of snakes. (laughs) Literally a bunch of snakes. It's not, it's I not don't, a code name, buddy. No. I don't fucking get it, man. It Comics makes so little so sense great to me. Sometimes. Um, oh man. But anyway, at the end of the first issue, a dragon shows up. Hey, look at that. It's like a recurring theme or something. Yeah. Britannia cuts its head off with one swipe of her sword. Yeah. And in doing that she gets impaled by his tail. Mm. So Britannia passes away oh. in the first issue. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. This is this is an impalement that actually kills them. <laughs> so something that they did different in this book, and I think because they needed to add some stakes, some like odd conversational stakes, yeah. the people who get infected by the symbiotes can still talk. And every other showing of them, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they just mute zombie monsters. But sure. it is what it is. So, you know, choirs involved. Oh, oh we get, oh God, there's, <laughs> this team has a financial benefactor. His name is Steve Darwin. Okay. And he owns a tech company called Darwin Tech. He is implied to be, just the money bags behind it. Okay. The union is their thing. And then they get union Jack. Mm-hmm. And this is the third union Jack to okay. own the mantle of union Jack. And this union Jack has zero powers. Okay. He is just a guy. Just some dude named Jack. <laughs> I said, cool. Literally his name's Jay. I think. Oh, that's, that's actually a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, sorry, his name is Joe, Joe Chapman, okay. uh, the thin, third incarnation of the great British hero. Hmm. 
So this, that, and the other thing, nothing really to write home about as far as story is concerned. They fight mm-hmm. a shapeshifter. Oh, uh, the choir gets kidnapped. And so they bring in a reserve to join the project. His <laughs> name is Bulldog, and he's basically British Puck. Okay. Like he's tiny. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And they fight a shapeshifter. Their government liaison is this guy called the Sponge. He's an ex bad guy that used to work for her. <laughs> he used to work Uh-oh. for this bad guy named Doc Croc. Oh, God, Doc Croc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the Sponge can steal your power, steal the power of those he's close to. Uh-huh. So he will take your power, basically deactivate it for you and use it for his own. Wait, that's not the Doc Croc I was thinking of. Uh-huh. Who's the jo- Josh Indingi? What's his? Oh, yeah, this is not Josh Indingi. Are you ready? For, I don't think you're ready for this guy's real name. No. So, <laughs> I mean, his name, his, his, his birth name, his birth name, Doc Croc's birth name <laughs> is Crocker Dial. Oh. <laughs> Comics birth name is Crocker. <laughs> and this Dial. is a new character, too. This isn't some 60s bullshit that we just like, you know, decided to live with for, you know, he, it, so it, what's done is done. All right. We've got a Crocker. He is Dial. introduced. He's introduced as being an old 60s villain. Oh, okay. Are they doing some real like retro, like 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 Agents of Atlas type retro? Yeah. Okay. Does it does it work as that? No. Oh. <laughs> well, like it's not. It's definitely not Ages Battles because these the the heroes on the Union are a new team. Well, They're yeah. New names. Yeah. Except for Britannia, but she died. Right. <laughs> and these villains, these people that are popping up, are from Britannia's past, mm. and the Sponge guy is now their government liaison like they're basically their gut their gyric yeah but he says he's depowered but he has still has a little bit of his power left mm-hmm. but he's he's turned good basically so far okay yeah i can never trust those government liaisons yeah but doc croc still has volcana who was from britannia's past and okay. she basically is your like magma character yeah is that the same Volcana Titania's friend? Oh, um, I don't know, to be honest. It doesn't seem like Mar- it. Be- Marsha Marcia Rosenberg, because that, what's her name? Uh, what's his name? Does she Molecule, have this, Molecule like- Man's? Uh, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much under the impression that these are all original. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so the choir, her villain name was Scream, S-K-R-E-E-M. Okay. And she was on Doc Croc's team, and then she turned good, and and he kidnapped her to be back on his team. Um, there's this doll thing called Lady Shimmering Lights, which she's kind of she looks to be based on like a Will of the Wisp thing. If you look into her lights, you lose yourself and you like pass out. Okay. He also has a cybernetically enhanced corgi named Craig. <laughs> okay. 
It's just, it's literally just a corgi with a little like metal cap. <laughs> but you know, he's here. <laughs> so anyway, the whole reason for everything is they've established now that the reason why Britain was able to basically take over the world as a island in the North Atlantic is, is because they invented capitalism and, and enslaved the world. Oh, wait, sorry. That. Go ahead. And there's this thing called the Empire Stone, which <laughs> basically makes them super powerful. It doesn't explain anything other than when you hold it, you you can fly and you can shoot lasers and your eyes glow and you have energy around you. Okay. Sure. Also, that's Steve, that's Steve Darwin. So <laughs> Steve Darwin's true goal was to get the Emperor Stone. So was Doc Croc's goal, and the union was just a means to an end. Uh, okay. <sighs> Turns out Union Jack, so Union Jack didn't get taken over by a Venom symbiote, even though he was knocked out, and they think it's because he's Zeus's. But the reality is Britannia's spirit was inside Union Jack, protecting mm. him from the symbiotes. And so Britannia's spirit reveals herself and she's going around trying to fight also with them. So she's still on the team. Okay. Let's see. Is there anything else even worth talking about that happens? <laughs> no. Hand, uh, the, the stone passes hands. Snakes gets revealed to the public that he's literally just snakes. <laughs> I don't know. I think they've got something here with snakes. I, would, I really I don't read, want them to. <laughs> I would read a snake solo title. It, it's it's like all the capers of like every cartoon of like where it's like three kids in a trench coat trying to do adult things, but it's just like a bunch of snakes <laughs> yeah. in a bucket pretending to be a human, and then they're just like, "No, I am just snakes." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so we. So anyway, they they the power of Union Jack and Britannia possessing him give them the power to knock out whatever his name is and take the empire stone and give it back to the queen and country okay they they introduce some organizations that are in britain that now officially exist i guess okay oh god in addition to the like seven thousand that excalibur introduced Uh uh-huh like on top of like who and black air and MI-13, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So basically, it looks like Brexit took them out of Shed, which okay, is... Okay, that's kind of hilarious. Which is the superhero European directive. Okay. <laughs> so creating the union is kind of the answer to that because they're not covered by Shed anymore. Okay. And they're getting, like, their instructions from a door... <laughs> That's, Wait, I, <laughs> this sounds great it's not so whenever there's like whenever we get a new issue and it cuts to like some sort of like establishing text it shows all of the conversation in like the news and stuff coming out of this door <laughs> at 10 downing street in london sure yeah yeah I mean, that's it, like it literally Downing- says an announcement from 10 Downing Street and it's just the door. It has a 10 on it. That's that's the House of Parliament. Cool. Well, 
Yeah. It's a or, door to me. So, yeah. <laughs> or the, sorry, the, the official residence and office of the prime minister. So it's, it, they're getting their orders from the prime minister's office. Okay. There you they go. just don't want to show the prime minister themselves. It's like, you know, they, they did that a lot of times with like the president. With the president. And, yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah, so it usually shows a body. It's just hidden in shadow or some shit. Yeah. Or like from behind the, the chair or some shit like that. But yeah. in this, they only ever show the door and speech bubbles coming out of the door. Okay. It's, I mean, I mean, it's a thing. It's a choice. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. So, yeah, it, uh, they introduced new characters and I don't think anyone's ever going to be used again. Kel- sure. Like Kelby would be an amazing addition to you know Namor's force- forces. Snakes exists. <laughs> <laughs> you can put snakes in. Sna- <laughs> You're gonna say in any team. How I'm dare gonna you? Say in any team. <laughs> it's like it's it's like when Warren Ellis was writing Next Wave, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, is this in continuity?" What's what's this is uh, this is ridiculous, and he's like, this is the only Marvel comic that's ever been in regular continuity. <laughs> <laughs> this yes, is how I feel that. about my new favorite character, snakes. Snakes. I hate, you. I hate <laughs> you so much. Yeah, that was a thing. Anyway, the final, the final. It, it wasn't it wasn't amazing, but we have established new characters as side stories tend to do. Yeah, Venom King and Black. I'm gonna um, something that might actually have something to do with King and Black. Yeah. <laughs> so this is issues 31 through 35. Okay. 31 through 34 deal with current King and Black, and then 35 is post. Okay. Basically, it's what Eddie did in the afterlife after he died. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so it's uh, the consciousness of Eddie Brock in the in his like codex, basically in the hive mind and Rex Strickland, who was another host of the symbiote kind of like guides him. And it's like, you know, this is, this is what's going on. This is what we got. Here's the hive mind. We got to like work our way through. And then we find the memory of flash Thompson. Huh? For those who don't know, which I, I read this before we started our podcast, but <laughs> Flash died in fighting the Red Goblin. Oh, okay. And his codex still survived. So in Maximum Carnage, <laughs> Carnage took, you know, exhumed his body and stole his spine and stole his codex. And then Eddie absorbed his codex in order to break free of Carnage. And that was kind of the key to him being able to beat Carnage Mm. in Maximum Carnage. Sure. So we, as the readers and Eddie and everyone else, are under the impression that nothing Flash exists anymore. And so when when Agent Anti-Venom shows up in this in the hive mind, mm-hmm. we're all surprised. And we're like, what the hell's going on? He's like, yeah, you know, you you took my like physical codex. Yeah. Yeah. But like my memory is still part of the whole hive mind. Like, you're not going to okay. get rid of that. Sure. And he's like, oh, no. So does that mean he's like, yep, I saw you go to my I saw you go to my grave. I'm pretty sure uh, I was pretty sure you cried. I saw a couple of tears there. He's like, no, shut up. We're moving on. <laughs> so anyway, so 
memory Rex, memory Flash, and memory Eddie go and attack the hive mind. And they find that there is kind of like, so they see the hive mind as it's generally represented of just a bunch of hanging bodies, kind of like the matrix. Okay. And as things happen in the real world, they see different minds being taken away and dissolving away. They could have shown any heroes in this hive mind, right? So we <laughs> know everyone's so, had a fucking symbiote before. Yeah. Sure. But like, so we see Storm, we see Cap, we see Thing, we see Doctor Strange because they have all been taken in. Yeah. But they showed, but one of the ones that they showed of the six that they showed, they showed Vision. <laughs> which that yeah can't is that possible <laughs> conceptually you, you tell me man <laughs> i don't i don't i don't think it is but but you know whatever sure in the ne- the next time we see a splash of the hive mind he's not there so somebody okay. caught it and someone <laughs> was like don't do this anymore so it was it's just it just made a cool moment so when dylan goes and bring and freeze some of the heroes, which I love this splash page, by the way. That is a sweet splash page right there. The Dylan two, holding two Cap's shield. Yeah. Yeah. And just and releasing Cap, you've got different heroes in the background doing their thing. If I can find this for a wallpaper, I totally want it. Anyway, <laughs> but so when they release Cap, they see Cap leaving the, the hive and Flash is really excited. And he's like, go get him, Cap. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just like that little moment. Mm-hmm. Then they see the veil behind to the true hive mind or whatever. And basically Noel's hive mind. Sure. They see all of the symbiotes that have been cut from the hive mind in these like cells and chain, like blocks cut off from the full hive mind, blah, blah, blah. And so they're like, okay, well let's go free these guys and let's, let's do what we can to help you know, the, the above. Sure. Agent anti-venom goes in and he frees a bunch of them out. And then some of those symbiotes take on um, anti-venom and he's like, oh, hell yeah. And he becomes anti-venom dragon. (laughs) Sick. And then in doing that, he comes out into the real world. And this is one of the things that I would have liked to have seen just one page of. Yeah. In King and Black. We have anti-venom dragon going around fighting other dragons that was pretty dope super cool while he's out there fighting noel gets distracted noel is trying to deal with venom and then he gets distracted and oh sorry trying to deal with eddie noel gets distracted venom reaches out to eddie because noel's distracted and he's like and he's like eddie eddie i found you i found you like let's let's get the fuck out of here and he's like hell yeah and so they escape and make this giant, like, King Kong-sized Venom. Okay. And he says, wouldn't be the first time I stole an idea from another guy who called himself Venom. And says, check out Venom Inc. to see what Eddie's referencing. I don't, I I read Venom Inc. I don't remember what this is referencing, but it doesn't (laughs) last very long. It's just a large Venom. So whatever. Sure. And so he's doing that. And as soon, like, two pages later, he's trying, he's leaping up to go and fight real null and then the god of light shows up 
Oh, okay. So Godlight shows up, rips that venom apart, and Symbiote's about to leave Eddie. And Eddie's like, wait, no, don't leave me. What are you doing? He's like, no, I have to leave you because he's coming. He's got you. Oh. Come and find me later. Okay. And then he becomes God of Light. And then we have the same, same conversation from Reed where he's like, it acts just like a symbiote. We just called it a different name. Ha ha, Captain Universe. The Enigma Force solved. Then we get Eddie. And so when Eddie first showed up, Anti-Venom Dragon was like, hey, what do you, where do you need me? How can I help? And he's like, I need mm-hmm. you in the ground. And he's like, uh, uh, like uh, what? And he's like, just trust me. He's like, okay, I'll trust you. And so Anti-Venom Dragon goes to the grave of Flash Thompson, jumps into the ground, and boom, what? revived Flash Thompson. Hey! <laughs> Which I am super excited about because I ended up really liking Flash. Sure. Just over the last 10, 15 years of comics. Yeah. So... That's how Flash Thompson comes back. And then, so issue 35 is post King and Black, and it is an extra long issue. Like, it's okay. like borderline triple size. Wow. I'd, I'd have to look it up to see exactly, but it's basically your typical epilogue episode. Yeah. Scene to scene, just doing different things and seeing what's going on. So yep. you've got Eddie and what he's doing with the symbiotes and reaching out all across the universe, helping the civilizations that Null has destroyed or ravaged. And you have like a Venom holding his giant battle axe and a symbiote necro sword, just going around and just like defending innocence and stuff. And talking about how he's doing that all at the same time. He's also on this other planet rebuilding this, like some churches that, uh, on the planet fallow at the same time in the deepest corner of space we work in concert to repair a great rift in the fabric of the cosmos before it unleashes hell into our world mm-hmm. cool um <laughs> so apparently there's a rift i don't think it's the cancerverse rift but it's sure. a rift those damn rifts he's got a symbiote on wondagore helping a pack of last lost travelers freezing in the wind and cold there's a symbiote symbiote on asgard talking with king thor and shaking his hand for their part in the war. And we find out that that like the throne that he used to connect everything, they moved that to a new apartment that Tony gave them. And thanks for all of his stuff with Mm -hmm. King and black Eddie and Dylan live there together. And it has, and doing this whole King of black thing has really taken its toll on a human such as Eddie. And Mm -hmm. so he looks like this now. Oh, wow. Basically, just short hair, long beard, and all white and gray. So he looks like an old man now. Yeah, old man Eddie. Mm -hmm. And just raising a teenager is really difficult. (laughs) So Eddie has the whole hive in his head, with the exception of the Venom symbiote, because he is disconnected, which arguably makes him the most powerful symbiote in the galaxy. Yeah, But he said that's fine because... They're partners and he wouldn't have it any other way, blah, blah, blah. The Venom symbiote turns into a dog and hangs out with Dylan, goes with him to school. (laughs) And Sleeper, uh, in the form of the cat, is staying at the apartment also and knocks Eddie's cell phone off the couch like a cat. And it's hilarious. Uh (laughs) It's just a super side thing. But there's a really interesting conversation between the Venom symbiote, which his name isn't Venom, but like... That's what we know it as. The easiest. Yeah. So the Venom symbiote and Dylan, they're walking. Oh, the Venom symbiote's leash is a symbiote chain 
uh, wrapped around his neck because he takes the form of like a bulldog so it just kind of works with the aesthetic I guess but on their way to school Dylan's like say I've been meaning to ask what do I call you he's like what do you mean he's like well like you and my dad you guys are Venom but like that's you and him together so like what's your name Hmm. he says ah I see no one has ever asked me that I don't quite know how to answer that really you see my kind we don't have names not like you each of us communicates with a host through a certain emotional vibration this emotional pattern is how we distinguish ourselves in the collective hive it wouldn't be pronounceable by human vocal cords mine is well it's something it's somewhat unique when null still controlled the hive my pattern was cast out of their hive for for going against null's control from there i wandered along the galaxy until i was found and well it's a long story i'll let your father tell you someday Hmm. and so dylan asks if he can hear it the emotional pattern and yeah. so uh, he's holding the leash and he kind of tells him through the leash um dylan lets out a tear he says thank you i needed that he's like uh, you're very welcome hmm. so that was a really interesting scene between the two the next scene is eddie and spider-man and Sp- and Sp- spider-man kind of checking in and he's just like hey i want to apologize because i feel like this is all my fault which is something we saw in the spider-man one single issue yeah and he's like <laughs> and eddie's like spider-man and he's like no 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 no. like you and dylan all of it everything like it's all my fault all of this all because i brought that first symbiote back to earth because because i wasn't strong enough i just i wanted yeah. to tell you that i owe you you stepped up when i couldn't and eddie <laughs> eddie's like webs the symbiote has been on earth for over a thousand years they fought in vietnam they were part of the weapon plus program hell the legend of beowulf and the grindle is based on them this isn't on you <laughs> and he's just like when, when did you find this out and he's like oh you remember when the dragon showed up it's that same day give or take and you never he's like okay and you never i just did you know, <laughs> if you ever wanted to go back to being a supervillain, I would gladly. <laughs> He's like, no, nah, no, nah. <laughs> don't worry about it. So anyway, so it was. It kind of worked as like a letting you go off your guilt kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because Marvel has decided to make this giant ass backstory with Venom yeah. stuff, but Spider-Man's never been privy to this. So it was kind of yeah. cool to bring him in yeah. on this, but that's just hilarious. That is funny. <laughs> Brock has this omnipresence thing going on, and and so he he pauses in the middle of their conversation, and Pete's like, "Hey, what's going on?" He's like, "Sorry, I'm meeting with the Avengers right now." He's like, "Wait, are you even here?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm here." It's just kind of it's weird. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, hey, we're about to be robbed." He's like, "What?" And then someone shows up with a shotgun and 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 a mask. He's like, "On the floor," or I start dropping, and then like. Pete turns around. He's just like, hi. And then Robert's like, ah, damn it. And Eddie's like, I got this. And he picks up his cane and throws it. And it's a symbiote. And the symbiote wraps around him and stops him. And so they kind of go their separate ways. More conversations of just, you know, clearing the air and getting on the same page. Mm -hmm. And then Eddie's like, all right, I'm out. And he's like, wait, what are you doing? And he's like, he turns into a bunch of venom bats. (laughs) (laughs) It <laughs> flies away. He's like, I told you, I, I, I got to go back home. Uh, Dylan's going to be home soon. And, and Spidey's just like, okay, that, that, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we spend the rest of the issue and the rest of Eddie's part of him meeting with all of the superhero teams across 
the galaxy. Yeah. There's him meeting with the new guardians with Star-Lord back. We're him meeting with Avengers, him meeting the quiet council hmm. and telling everyone about, you know, the symbiote and how crazy it's been and yada, yada, yada. But there's one being that has really escaped his sight and it's the maker. And so, Mm. so the maker is the ultimate universes Reed Richards and ultimate Reed Richards brought the synthetic symbiote over from his universe to ours. He gave us some biomechanical upgrades and he was basically unstoppable. He like with a touch, he separated Eddie from the venom symbiote. And in that fight maker got sent back through the portal into the ultimate universe. Okay. So what's left of it, basically. Yeah. So because of that, Eddie is going to all these people and uh, he's also meeting with Silver Surfer and he's like, I really think, so I know he's been meeting with these people called the Council of Reeds and Uh they have been testing him to see as kind of like a initiation and I'm concerned that his plan to reboot his universe is to take over ours. And I'm not going to be able to stop him on my own. So I need your help. And I want you guys okay. to be prepared and I want you to know about it. Okay. So my takeaways from this have nothing to do with that whole conversation, even though I'm really stoked. But yeah. the, the quiet council that they're showing here, freaking... So Apocalypse isn't there because this is post right. Ten of Swords. Exodus yeah. and Mystique are on their spot, but Sinister is sitting in the Hellfire spot. <laughs> Sinister huh. and Shaw and Nightcrawler are on the same table. And then Jean, Emma, and Storm are on the other table. And it just irks me. So <laughs> we have two two seats are empty. It's Apocalypses and the Red Queens. Yep. And that was just bothersome. But then the next time we go back to the Quiet Council conversation, everyone's still in the same seats, so that's fine. However, Venom is now sitting at one of the Quiet Council seats instead of sitting what? in the center talking to them. And <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here like, no way did any of them let this happen. No. <laughs> but like it shows chance. it again, and it has it, uh, it has a close up sitting next to Mystique and Exodus having this conversation. And I'm like, Weird. bro. <laughs> ballsy ass motherfucker <laughs> so, but uh, that's just me holding the quad council to a higher yeah than literally anything else well holding holding the marvel editorial staff to <laughs> yeah yeah and then there's a little aside between cap and venom and cap is like listen like you're doing an amazing job a real bang up job if you want to be part of the avengers you know spots always open for you and the power level that venom is at is perfect for where the ven- the the power yeah. levels the Avengers are doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense, but Venom's like, listen, like I appreciate it, but I'm literally everywhere, and you're gonna want people who are focused on being an Avenger. I'm not gonna be able to yeah. do that. And then we get a little side thing with Flash, him being back. He's ordering a coffee. These people show up that have been that are like government goons in giant green suits and they're killing people that they have. Well, we think he's just killing. They're killing a random person, but they by suits, you mean mechas like power suits. suits. Sorry. Yeah. Not not like not business suits. (laughs) No, 
Agent Anti-Venom starts fighting them and and they're like, listen, we killed our target. I don't know who you are. They're like, what do you mean? So the kid that they killed at the coffee shop is a symbiote. And oh, it's this kid. Just, just hanging out there. Just, yeah. just lying around. They have the authority to go around and kill any symbiotes that they find. Okay. Because the government is scared or whatever. And the kids like begging them is like, please, you know, we haven't hurt anyone. I had a terminal illness before my other came. I'd be dead in a month without it. Like we're not, mm-hmm. we're just trying to live a life. Like he's helping me. I'm it's helping symbiotic. Him, <laughs> so a symbiotic relationship. What? So that kind of introduces this, this concept of now we've got symbiotes kind of around town. <laughs> just, just like we've got scrolls chilling around town we've got Cree chilling around town now uh-huh. we've got symbiotes chilling around town <laughs> okay so you know that's another thing that we can do with later and then sure. we have a day at school with dylan he's getting bullied and so on and so forth and not a big deal it's kind of a non-starter but we find out here that in king and black on the last issue when venom took that darkness out of him it removed yeah. all of his powers Okay. So Dylan doesn't have the like hive mind controlling powers anymore. And he's walking home with the symbiote. They come across this guy being jack-o'-lantern. And so they venom up. And this design of venom is your typical big boy venom, but he also has sure. he also has chains around his arms. Very much kind of like uh so to echo the chains that he was using as the dog collar, but then also it's mm. very ghost ridery. But they get back and Eddie's just like, well, that didn't take very long. <laughs> and, you know, they want to talk it out. But he's like, honestly, it's fine. I'm not going to stop you. And I know that the symbiote's going to do everything to to help you and protect you. Also, you've got me to be your mentor. Like, this is perfect. Great. This is a perfect time to start superheroing. <laughs> yeah. At, at like 12. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so we have a new Venom now and it's Dylan and he's got the symbiote. Can we talk a little bit about overall impressions of King and Black now that it's over? I think so. I've got some I've got some questions and, and observations. Sure. One, and, and maybe this is just a character change that happened a long time ago with Venom or over the course of his, you know, his run. But it seems like his hero arc is like all the way complete right now. Uh yeah. For the sake of going through this, we should establish you're talking about Eddie. Eddie, yes, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Eddie Brock. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, it's a real departure from sort of like the 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 base character. Like when they make the Venom movie, it's Tom Hardy sweating profusely while an alien tries to convince him to eat brains. You uh-huh. know? And not that the the movie is right and the comics are wrong, but you know, all of all of these characters try tend to stay close to their true north in some way. They're, they're sort of prototypical conception, and so it, it's interesting to me that they that they decided, nope, Eddie's going to go full hero turn, and we're going to to the point where it wasn't even part of his character arc during King and Black to choose to do the right thing or to overcome sort of like I tend to see Eddie Brock as just kind of a schlub you know like mm-hmm. he does he he never really had the strength of character to like to, to fight the symbiote or do good it's not that he's a bad dude it's that he's just like 
kind of in his own world, in his own, like kind of like his day to day stuff is the important thing to him. And he, he just doesn't have like a, a greater purpose, which would lead him to, to fight the influence of the symbiote. And he goes on and he eats brains. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to me that in this, it's not just like, is he a good guy or a bad guy? It's that he never questions it for a moment. Like, yes, I'm going to fight Null. Yes, I'm going to sacrifice my life. Yes, I'm going to be reborn as Captain Universe and take on all of this responsibility. Like, this is a giant character arc, like a huge step for him. And I'm guessing that this is all just kind of like that they've been building on this during the course of Donny Cates's run on Venom or maybe a long time before that. But it's, it, it, it kind of takes me by surprise that, that this just, that they just jumped right in. So I see King and black as specifically, I guess for Eddie's arc, I, I see this as kind of the end of Eddie's arc. Honestly, mm-hmm. I haven't read every Venom issue, sure. but when Eddie first gets his own title, the subtitle is Lethal Protector. Right. So when he's in, when he is the Spider-Man villain in Spider-Man comics, it's very much your typical Spider-Man villain arc of like down and out, gets power, uses it for bad. <laughs> right. And so there's always the hint of this person could be good if given the chance, if given the motivation, this, that, and the other. And so Eddie himself tries that here and there in his solo titles, but it's always the like Punisher type route of like, you're going to die, but I'm doing it for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of stuff. And then over the last like 10, 15 years, they when while they've been exploring the history of the symbiotes, and we get this like noble kind of arc of where the symbiotes come from. We did that first exploration while Flash Thompson had the symbiote. And so when Eddie gets the symbiote back, it is a more noble symbiote that wants to only do good. Whereas Eddie is currently a lost wandering soul, not necessarily wanting to do bad, but he's only in it for himself. And then with Donnie Cates' run, we get introduced to Dylan, who is who we find out is Eddie's son. And that is the catalyst that Eddie needed to lean into being a good person because he wants to be good for his son. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So this is so so Donnie Cates' run is leaning heavily into okay eddie brock is going to be the classic hero as opposed to an anti-hero it's just it's interesting to me that by yeah that by the time king of black comes around it's not even a part of the crossover right (laughs) yeah it it, there's no there's no moral conflict within eddie at all once it's time for him to step up yep and similarly in the mainline king and black we got to see the avengers fully prepared for a cosmic threat ahead of time. Yeah. I feel like that doesn't happen that often. And it's kind of, I feel like it could only happen in a post Hickman Avengers where this was kind of like the idea of what the Avengers are was redefined to be, let's be ready for cosmic threats and protect earth at all costs. Mm. And in Hickman's run. run. Yeah. And kind of, 
avoiding or obviating a lot of the um basically the first chapter of almost every crossover of like (laughs) holy shit (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) it's true and i think i wonder if that's just a uh to to writers that's a waste of time yeah totally the the scramble scenes we've gotten so used to this story that the initial part doesn't add tension anymore there's no there's no storytelling use for it anymore it's just like all right we know what the avengers do we know about this threat let's let's just get let's just get to the punching (laughs) right yeah and i think this is quote-unquote special in the sense that it was so like absolute carnage was literally just a prequel to king and black yeah Mm -hmm. because the entire run has been leading up to this so heavily and etc yeah yeah so yeah like carnage got all the intel entire goal and yeah in absolute carnage is we're gonna release null (laughs) yeah and and so it only took him two of our year's time to get from where he mm-hmm. was to earth. And so, yeah, like there was, there was as much telegraphing as possible, which makes Noel that much bigger of a deal, I guess. And yeah, to totally. make him that death's father. <laughs> we go straight to the Avengers best, best punch. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. we don't, there's not like a slow mustering of forces. And then finally the bands all together and we save the day through the power of friendship, et cetera, et cetera. No, we, <laughs> We have everything squared away from the very beginning. It's not enough. We have to scramble afterwards. Yeah. So that is an interesting one too. Yeah. Cause then you get to deal with like hope. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and all that keeping it alive in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those were, those were really my main takeaways from King and black just from, a, from a story perspective. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny that that you bring that up about about Eddie. It's it's interesting because I've read it all. Well, I've read so much that like <laughs> Eddie slash the symbiotes arcs naturally got here from my perspective. Yeah, but you really only being aware of these comics from the last year, that is not the case. <laughs> hold up, hold up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is definitely something to keep in mind. But yeah. I liked King and Black and and it was so jam packed that I forget that it was only five issues. Yeah. Did it so did the did the pace feel good to you? Did it feel too rushed? Did did you end up getting the character moments that you wanted out of the side stories? So did it feel rushed? I don't I could feel... think so. Okay. But like only because so I would have been fine if it was six issues, I think. If they spread okay. out a little bit, but just a like, little more room to breathe. Yeah, but because this crossover event is so Venom focused, some of the scenes that I would have wanted ended up being in here, right in the Venom book. Because like, there's a conversation. There's like a whole like pep talk conversation between Spider-Man and Dylan right after Eddie dies. That is just at that Spidey kind of telling Dylan how he's going to be there for him that the others are saying that he's the key, but if he doesn't want to be, that's totally fine. Like being the big brother that we've seen him be for like Franklin for the fantastic four Yeah, that happens in their books. And that's the same kind of pep talk, big brother thing that I would have liked to have seen in King and black. If Venom didn't exist. 
Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it covered the stuff that was missing from the overall crossover. And I think that's because both King and Black and Venom are written by Donny Cates. And so he put <laughs> yeah. what he wanted where it needed to go. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. like crossover events are the are the big moments. You're not gonna get a whole lot of downtime. The last time they had a good amount of downtime was in like Age of Ultron. And yeah. it just it just doesn't flow well. Sure. So like I, I get it. I get the changes that they've made. What did you think? So I know you're a fan of Donny Cates' writing. What did you think of him? Because this is his first, you know, first time being handed the keys to a crossover. Mm-hmm. All in all, thumbs up. All in all, I think he does a good job. Cool. Like, well, when you have someone like Hickman that so clearly understands every character, yeah, it's it's, it's hard to compare. But as, as far as like big moments, I think Cates did a good job. I think Aaron does bigger like impact moments but i think kate does really good set pieces cool i think think it works i think didn't have control over everything like in the side stories like i keep on thinking about black panther shooting that giant hole in the symbiote above wakanda Uh uh-huh that just doesn't fucking make sense but like (laughs) i think i think other writers or people with with heavier hands might have you know, put a kibosh on that, but sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think his run here was great. I, I, I'm totally fine with him doing more crossover events. Cool. Anything else Man. on anything else on King and Black? No, that that's it. I've had a good time really just diving into this crossover for the last three weeks. Thank you for uh, going through this journey with me. Yeah, absolutely. Always fun to to listen to a crossover and and get see what where marvel is going and what they're up to yeah the only thing i don't like i think is the some of the side stories had nothing to do with king and black like yeah. the union atlantis tax some of the other ones just didn't really fit but you know it is what it is sure can't win them all <laughs> well now that we finished off king and black should we finish off nomon let's finish off nomon oh my god okay so you know especially with last episode when we decided to fucking just inject the subdermal implant of the witness into Neith at the end of that <laughs> chapter. Yes, please. <laughs> Other notable things, I guess we could say that we know who the five fire judges are, even though we don't know Jonathan Jones's real name and that Oliver Smith is the grass and oh yeah, Jonathan Jones is like the the guy, the 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 lover boy that is just that she's just naturally obsessed with yeah and oh here's okay here's one thing that threw me a little bit is so neith gets told about squid by tub by tubman yeah but we like spend zero time with squid and go straight to kraken basically there was a little bit of squid it, it was so long ago, but yeah, she's been asleep for almost the entire time. So, yes. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, she so she installed squid to search for something, I think. But then, yeah, she's, but she like, started a bunch of searches under squid. And yeah, yeah. But it was just kind of like it almost it felt, it felt like squid was such a passing thing that like I, I almost yeah. felt like why not just why have squid if most of the stuff's going to happen from Kraken? That makes sense. Because yeah. it's like squid is a cracked witness, but Kraken is a cracked squid. Kraken is basically you took 
squid is you took like you took enough of the safeties off to be impolite but not dangerous and kraken mm. is all of the safeties are off full break okay yeah like you're actually hacking infrastructure instead of just like ignoring safeguards okay yeah so yeah so kraken helps hider which is wild and she gets the subdermal implant my god yeah so and through the long catabasis hidden inside hunter's yeah, house she just she dives down the well inside hunter's yeah. house and comes up to a little cave room with and then the terminal she hits a button yeah. and it's like oh hey and then it just puts the core her. rope memory in etc cetera, etc cetera. cool let's move right along then to chapter 21 it's called i expect you're wondering and this is uh this is a sans serif chapter and it's a compilation of all the sans serif characters kind of talking over one another it feels kind of like a real sensate monologue uh, montage to, to be okay. honest <laughs> so <laughs> starts with kiriakos he's swallowed whole by his shark but he realizes he's still alive calling out for stella he bumps his head into a wooden box he feels lips on his forehead but it's not stella's jump to athenaeus She's woken up back in Scipio's house by the legionnaire standing watch over her. She's visited by Augustine, St. Augustine, her ex-lover, who's clearly done quite a bit of growing up since they last saw each other. He apologizes for not being able to prevent Adeodatus, their son's death, and for being a dick when he left her. And a quick quote here. It says, I lean across the table and kiss him lightly on the, upon the brow in benediction and feel something unknot in, my, in me that I hadn't known was tied. Malice, saved up against the day, but never really anything I wanted. I let it go. Benedicite, Augustine, you silly arse. It's like releasing a heavy sack. I feel muscles in my chest open and, un and unlatch. Freedom. I catch my breath at the feeling and the scent of him hangs in my nose and mouth. The wrong scent. And with it, the sound of doors. I push him away and find a weeping Greek in a dark cave. So that's the connection there. When he bumps his head on the coffin, he's kissed. But and so they're they're all finding their way into the chamber. Basically, we jump to Barry Hoon. He recounts his time just after leaving the Alambicagan prison. It says, for me, it was not a rebirth that happened in the 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 hotel, the Grand Form Hotel, where he stayed after leaving. Uh, he doesn't really remember how he left the prison or how he got to this hotel, but he's in this hotel. And he says, it was not a rebirth that happened. It was a journey away from my own death. I think that is how I have seen all the good things since then. Not as blessings of addition, but as the unmaking of sorrow, as if there is a given amount of it in the world to be washed away by effort and hope. Interesting for the theme of apocatastasis here, of the return to wellness or the return to beginnings. And then he, back at the present moment, he steps out of the safe room Right, there's the explosion going on, the the fire in his house, and he's got Annie and Coulson with him. Steps out of the safe room and into the fire with Annie and Coulson. And as he does, he sees his young self inside the prison and encourages him along too. And in doing, he gives away his bracelet of gold coins to his young self and suddenly gains the memories of everything between leaving the prison and recovering at the hotel, which he paid for with those gold coins. He says, I remember these things, but I never did them. They're like the contours of a statue or my portrait of Selassie. Points marked on a map of the real that when you come to them, we're never there. 
is that the loop is closed. Does that mean I've de- discharged my magical obligation? Did my strange escape take place only so that I could escape again later? Or am I, am I escaping now only so that my escape then can be completed in the manner I remember? If I go ahead from here and eventually die, does that mean the middle part of my life, artless but contented, will exist forever? In the darkness, in the place where I have been before, where perhaps I always am, I see a woman and a man. So he makes his way to the chamber too. Yep, that's Kyriakos and Athenaeus that he sees. He realizes that he recognizes them. Kyriakos, not just from the news, because he's, you know, as the shark billionaire, he's kind of a public figure, but also he painted them both in the walls of his cell. Back to Athenaeus's narration, Kyriakos has been blinded from the, start, the, the, from the shark's stomach acid, but she cures him with the alkahest. She recognizes Kyriakos and Berihun from the paintings on the walls of the chamber as well. Plus, she's seen Noman as the peacock demon when she was down in the underworld, and that was one of the paintings on the walls of the chamber. So now she's just looking for, quote, the woman on the table, the sacrifice who becomes the goddess, or the other way around. It all depends on your direction of travel. Kyriakos leads them into the chamber. This is from Athenaeus's narration. Behind me, the Aksumite, meaning Ethiopian, is weeping a little. This was my cell, he says. It is the room where my son died, I reply and see him nod. It is the chamber of Isis, the intersection of worlds, the conjunction, the waterfall, the belly of the beast. This is where everything is decided. I look at the room all around and I know the chamber is made and remade. It exists wherever it is painted. But in some sense, that makes no sense at all. It was painted here first in whatever place and time this is. And I know... Which are the eyes that see it for what it is? And so there inside the chamber is Adeodatus's coffin, and she reaches in, and instead of her son, she pulls out Lernrot, who she recognizes as the, the demon, as Noman as well. And Lernrot says, well, am I fashionably late? And then the last sentence is in serif font. It's not dialogue or italics, but normal narration. And the sentence is, well... I expect you're wondering why I've called you here this evening. And we've had first-person serif narration before in the very first chapter. This hidden first-person narrator said that the process of Neith's investigation would, quote, lead her to me. Okay. I made a little bit of a big deal of it at the time, but that was a very long time ago. So there's been a narrator for the serif chapters this whole time. It's just been invisible between, like, the fifth page and now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Just two, two references. But anyway, chapter 22, apocatastasis. Seraph font. Neith is in an endless darkness, wonders if she's just a mind in the, in a void dreaming the world. Lernrote likes lights a match and says, I expect you're wondering why I've called you here this evening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the exact same thing. Neith places Lernot under arrest, and they and Lernot just laughs at her. Neith asks, "Who are you?" And they go through the possibilities. Tangent, quick tangent. Remember that time I was staying with you? This is like it was summer. I was back from college. I was staying with you out in the uh, the shack in oh, uh, okay. in the backyard at your parents' house. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you remember this. I don't. I was dead asleep, but. I bolted up and I turned to you and I said, who are you? Are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do remember this. And, 
Oh, that was so strange. And you just sputtered and were like, it's, we've literally been friends our entire lives. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then I just fell back. What do you asleep. mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I have an yep. explanation for that. I was in a humanistic psychology class at the time, and the professor would just walk back and forth in front of the class before lecture every day saying, who are you? Who are you? Who are you really? Who are you at your very best? Who are you? And just over and over again, every single lecture. Wow. And I think that's where that came from. But anyway. It checks out. <laughs> I just had to reference that because it's hilarious. <laughs> so, Neith asked that question to Lernrote. Lernrote says, who do you think I am, Miliki Neith? She shrugs. I don't believe you're from the future. A human mind become like a god? I don't see it. You'd be so different. Why would you bother with all this? Lernrote appears to consider this. PK, perhaps. Peak? P-I-Q-U-E? I don't know how that... I know it's like peak your interest, but when it's like... Yeah used in this way. I don't know how you pronounce it. Anyway, I was really very angry with Zagreus, Smith, a glint of malice at the correction, like bone in the wound. I think not, or not entirely. And you're not Nomon. Am I not? Thousands and thousands of years, thousands of bodies, thousands of minds combined into one, and your best answer to pain is still revenge? I'd, I think you'd think that was pathetic. Perhaps I'm still getting used to all this. Perhaps you're Anna, a nod. That is the most obvious answer, that Hunter put Anna Magdalena back together as best she could, made her a kind of invisible servitor. And then when, when Hunter died, poor Anna took on the role of Nomon as a crab takes on a shell. She became me so she could kill Smith for revenge without going mad? That's who I am? It's a little high. I did wonder if you might be the witness itself, using Anna as a peripheral or fire spy. <laughs> Oh, very good. The birth of a new kind of technological humanity, accidental and traumatic. That would be a genuine apocatastasis, I suppose. A fresh genesis of spirit from stone, the hand of a machine in a human glove, an avatar in reverse. And linguistically quite appropriate, too. Anna Magdalena, it means elegant grace. They do say recursion is the inception of the mind. The inspector shakes her head. Perhaps you're the djinn, trapped in the chamber of Isis, and this is all your dream. Have you thought of that? Lernrot applauds abruptly as if delighted. It's turtles all the way down, Inspector. All the stories are true. Everything depends on your direction of travel. And like the children sharing bunk beds, metaphysicians argue about who goes on top. No. Shall we try once more? Am I Oliver Smith's counter-narrative? A false personality conjured from, let us say, from Diana Hunter's unconscious doubts and set within her mind to untangle her and rope her like a wayward cow, escaped into the world to wreak havoc like any good monster on my maker? A dangerous flash of teeth now, of anger. Is that what you think of me? They glower at one another in the dark. Just tell me, Neith says at last. Just tell me what you want. I have told you. I wanted you to find Diana Hunter's diaries and bring them to me. Which you have done, although I must say you were remarkably chippy over it. By the diaries, of course, Lernrote means Hunter's memories and the entire interrogation. Neith is the only person who has gone through them completely. And then Lernrote flips the question back on Neith. Who are you? Neith tries to deflect, you know, I'm, I'm just the in investigator assigned to this case. That's all. And it, it almost makes Lernrote, like, angry. But, but even more than that, sympathetic and kind of sad. <laughs> like, no, 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 you're way more than that. 
And eventually, Neith has to admit this whole process really has changed her, made her more like Hunter. But beyond that, realizing that the memories of the interrogation are executable system code that Diana needed to obscure to get it past security. And now that Neith is in, inside the terminal, Neith has done just that, has delivered Hunter's code scrambled up through all these memories and obfuscated back into the system where it can do its damage. Finally, she breathes out slowly. A significant object, a name and a secret, biocloud analysis, modern on can- modeled on canine scent recognition, and then PNMR, fingerprinting for the soul. This isn't an interrogation at all. Lernote smiles, as if to say, at last. It's a ruse, a booby trap. She's breaking into the system. That's why Hunter got herself arrested. She even planned the stroke to force them to connect her to the machines. She wanted Smith to put it all back together. That's the whole point. Smith was sabotaging his own security. Hunter, whoever she is, she's inside. She used the whole thing to get her attack in place, but she's not fully conscious, so you need... And then she just says, oh. Continuing first-person narration in, in serif font. This is the moment I promised you all along that you were so eager for. Oh, I grant you, you wanted this before you knew her, before you cared about her. But don't you feel some measure of responsibility now that the moment has arrived? Her loss of faith, I said, in everything that she has believed in her life. And you thought, oh, excellent. Won't that be exciting? Yes, I know. That was before she felt real to you. Is it satisfactory all the same? Will you see it in her face, in the sudden frozen instant of Kairos, in which all is decided? I can. I can see the horror and the bubbling denial and the certainty that brings them. Did you imagine my promise meant something so small and commonplace as politics? In a moment, Mieliki Neith hears herself give voice to something she has begun to understand in one part of herself, but which the deep psychological defenses of the human mind have kept from her until now. It is the unintended shift in tense from past to present. She reveals the clue she most most wishes to avoid understanding. For most people, it would be a momentary lapse, swiftly brushed aside. But Neith's intellectual integrity will not allow denial, will not brook comforting falsehoods. She has chosen her role and perfected her stubbornness by my enemies. But those same virtues might also serve me, depending on the direction of travel. It all comes down to her, and the myriad paths of human possibility collapse upon themselves, infinite choices devolving to a stark binary, a fork in the road. How many people, truly, has Neith met in this adventure? There are 8 billion persons in the world, of course, of whom the average human being knows between a bare 200 and a frantic 5,000. Yet, Neith seems to inhabit a London composed of only dozens, with occasional music. How many times has she tested her light switches and been relieved? And yet she maintains against all reason that the failure of the witness itself is not evidence of anything at all save corruption. How many impossible things must happen before catching a tennis ball is not a reassurance? A shark devours a man in in a tunnel, and the woman who began all this is the author of books whose texts cannot be read. How many times must a universe fail a dream check? before it is pronounced a dream. It was the whole point that she must reach this realization here and now. Only she can do what must be done, and only willingly, by her own choice, in the fullest knowledge of its meaning. Now that she knows, we must all wait and see. So. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Lenro is sitting here telling us that she's basically in the Matrix. Well, yeah, that the London that she inhabited was fiction yeah. all along. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? But okay. Shall I keep more moving forward, or do you want to process this a little bit? No, let's let's keep going. I because okay. like I I feel like questions will be answered. Yeah. So Neith looks at Lernroat and can start to see Barry Hoon, Athenaeus, Kyriakos within Lernroat, and all their voices start to blend together too. Neith realizes that the Hunter interrogation is actually still ongoing, and then Hunter steps through all of them, stands up from the interrogation table, and starts talking to Neith directly. She's basically saying, I've stalled as long as I can, and now it's do or die time. I've done my part, but I can't do the rest without you. You need to be the one to decide whether to destroy Firespine or not, because there's no in-between. Hunter obviously wants the plug pulled because, quote, it's the right thing to do. And then Hunter takes Neith's hand and shows her the interrogation from Diana's perspective. The the five fire judges operate on her, and the closest one is someone who's actually wholly on fire, like the human torture or some shit. It says, you're seeing him through my eyes, Hunter says. They're open, but I've done things to my head. He doesn't look like that, Neith says. That's not a real face. You're dreaming. I am dreaming, yes, to some extent. My mind is broken. The division between me and my stories has broken down a little. But this is his true face, Mieleki. This is what he looks like to me now. And really, I am the only person in the world who is in a position to know him. He is, he is a monster and a god, and he holds my life and the world, and I cannot fight him without you. So he's Flambeau, the symbol of the fire judges of Zagreus, of the djinn called Firespine, Smith, Megalos, Bekele's surgeon jailer. There have been no names for villains in any of this, she realizes. Smith is commonplace. Megalos merely means great. No names, just the things themselves. He doesn't have a name for me anymore, Hunter says, as if overhearing. Just this. This is the meaning of, all, of it all. That he can do this to me, and it can disappear. And if that can happen, then the world is broken. And then Neith asks, since I worked for the witness, does that mean I'm like them? I'm one of them? And Hunter says, is there an answer to that that'll change, the qu- change what you're going to do? And she realizes, of course not. She's going to do the right thing. Then, then it moves into action. The flambeau, the flaming man, in the middle of the interrogation, sort of like catches the memory, the presence of the real Hunter. And is like, oh, let's go. And Diana does the submarine dive again to evade. And in the perfect clarity of the falling submarine, Miliki Neif watches an old woman walk into a local office, office of the witness and turn herself in. She has a proud face with puckish lines and a good singing voice. Now, just a few days, she has neither. Now she is the victim in a chair because she would not give powerful people the thing they should not have. And her vanishing is absolute under a system that should prevent it entirely. This woman knew what would come and she chose it anyway. Smith tore her apart, and in his haste and hubris, he opened the door to her victory. That happened, she reminds herself. It is happening now. That woman was Hunter, and by whatever other name, that man was Smith. He took her voice to torment her. He makes meaningless the promises of the thing in which she placed her trust. He will continue to do so, unless prevented. He tried to make me the instrument of his torture. He wanted me to be the hook by which he would pull her brain out through her nose. 
The outer world is not Neath's system. She has never been there. But it is the system, according to Oliver Smith, a perfect mechanism of control, masquerading as freedom and convenience, a slow downward spiral from aspirational democracy to battery farm state, the opposite of everything she believes in, wearing its gouged off face as a mask. She remembers how much she wanted to be the best inspector the system ever had and how much she believed. She remembers all the people she has helped by being there, by being what the system told her she should, and how that right action made her complicit in the ugliest of deceptions. She was a front. She thought she was a copper. She was public relations. Who is this woman out there who occupies the space held in here by Mielecki Neath? What do they owe each other on that account? She considers everything she has ever cared about, every memory she has, and knows that all of them, only the last few days, belong to her. Flight, betrayal, and now this. This is the universe Zagreus made. And with that comes the only possible response. Nomon's, and then it's an italics, quote from Nomon. Fuck it. Just fuck it. She doesn't like it, and she's going to kill it. And then... It switches mid-chapter back to Sans Serif. And the first one is, it seems like Diana Hunter. It says, I can see my mind on the screen. She looks really, really annoyed. Good girl. I knew you'd come right. Very well. You wanted to know what sort of escapologist I am? Just watch me now. I may need to call on you later as a witness. Just watch. And then, Nomon. The universe is a cancer. It's an unforgivable bloody blot configured to rob us of our most precious things. Choice is what we are, what we have. Our mistakes must be our own, or how can we hope to become more than we are? I say we because I do feel a measure of kinship with you all, but of course, I possess a clarity that you don't. I am Nomon, sometimes called the Desperation Protocol. I possess the Chamber of Isis, the door in the world that is created by the conjunction of the Cardinals. The gates of Firespine are unlocked and the door is hanging open. All very picturesque, although honestly I never had much use for symbols. A thing is what it is, in which connection a door open is an open door. I'm going to tear this universe apart and rewrite it the way I want it to be. And then, next section. In the interview room, the subject opens her eyes. The director says, fuck. The old woman smiles up at him. I was going to kick your balls up into your armpits. He sighs. Yes, you did. You nearly killed me, she says. I did kill you, and I kept you alive. You knew I would, and you won. Of course I won. Don't try to get up. Don't give me orders, you stupid old man. God, you of anyone to give, be, be giving orders after all this. I couldn't let you make unmake everything. What we made, Annie, it saves people. It makes the world better. No, it doesn't. And anyway, you couldn't stop me. But she does not try to get up. Perhaps she can't. No, Colson agrees. I couldn't. Well, that's settled then. On the screens, every detail of her life, every aspect of their shared and secret history is blazing like a torch, but no one notices, because by that time, all the other screens are blank. The revolution is not televised anywhere except here. They have not forgiven one another, these two, and nor will they ever. But that, after such lives they have lived together, and after so long traveling the same deep road, is in some measure beside the point. So they sit down and watch in silence, holding hands. New section. <laughs> in the deep rooms and the high towers, magnetic needles whisper. The desperation protocol is working. It is hard to change the substrate. There are many layers and backups, but the change catches each and every one. By the end of the hour, there is no trace of fire spine anywhere. 
the, the desperation protocol is working. Then, in good order, the machine halts. System shut down. Let's let's uh, actually want to take a break. <laughs> take a take a pause here. <laughs> so, in this last one, Nomon's been calling itself the desperation protocol this whole time, and mm. here we see the desperation protocol being basically the not virus, the thing, the the codex, the the assembled code. The instruction to shut down the witness. This is it, it working. Mm-hmm. And then before that, so we've got final confirmation. Diana Hunter is Annabelle Bekele. Because he calls her Annie. Yes. And he's Colson. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, you know, we kind of got glimpses of, of their argument a few chapters ago. She takes a meeting with Turnpike Trust. They're kind mm-hmm. of like, sowing you know seeds of division and mistrust between them between themselves so diana hunt diana hunter is her is her basic name <laughs> yeah basically or or it, it's a little less than basic right but kind of i think honestly it was the name of her protagonist and witnessed and she kind of ran with it right okay yeah also in Diana Hunter's memories, she was calling her husband. Her husband's name was Robert. And this, there was no record of this or anything like that. And it was a real open question. What the hell is going on with Robert? The very first time we're introduced to Colson, his first name is Bobby. Ah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. And it's never brought up again. Okay. Jesus. All right. So... We're getting more, even more blend between the witnessed and the witness. <laughs> or the, or the, the Bekele time period. Yeah. Barry Hoon and Annabelle. I think those were an actual set of memories. I think all of oh, that. Oh, and not I think all memories. I think all of that actually happened. And she said it, you know, within her grandfather's point of view to kind of obfuscate it instead of her mm. own. But I think all of that actually happened. So I'm not sure this is totally true, but I think this is kind of cornerstone to my Jonathan Jones theory. Jonathan Jones is Colson. And as, or if not literally Colson, then some reincarnation of him, you know, through th- mm. the connectome inheritance that, the fire judges are doing basically as Neith becomes more and more hunter she finds herself more and more inexplicably drawn to jones that's my Whoa, okay. that's my theory that's my so theory. we don't but we but it, it hasn't explicitly said no that 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 robert is jones no it the director is in the interview room the and Colson is is in the interview room at the end with Hunter slash Annie. Right. With other people who you'd expect to be related to fire judge stuff. Yes. So, yeah, that's my theory. I see. Anyway, the next section, the bookstore owner, Shand, who we met in an early chapter, he's, it says he watches the system fall from his upstairs room and he opens up the the bookstore because he thinks it'll make people feel comfortable. 
and people start showing up just to to have a place to be and feel safe and comfortable. And then it says, a little while later, a delivery arrives quite unexpectedly. New editions of books he he had always imagined did not actually exist. And then the final section of the chapter is from the perspective of an inspector, Devana Bendis of The Witness, who receives a large file as the network shuts down. And indeed, her own connection to the system remains mysteriously active for the duration of what is otherwise a total blackout. File contains several documents, including a data set at odds with the official ones, but which her connection confirms as valid regarding extensive and persistent voter fraud within the system. And the bulk of the file is a record of the longest and strangest interrogation she has ever encountered. She is particularly startled to find her own name cropping up in a variety of forms and circumstances she can only consider quite bizarre. Yeah, so it's the Diana Hunter interrogation, but also as we'll later learn, the Neath story as well. And she is perplexed to find she is entering the story near its end. Moving along. Chapter 23, Kyriakos. And so we're getting just like a final coda to all of the uh, the sub-characters here. He's rescued from the shark by a paramilitary mission in helicopters, a rocket launcher into the water, his shark cut up into bits. He receives medical attention once he's to safety, says no sign of the chamber of ISIS or the others who were mentioned uh, who were in there, of course. Jump to an hour prior, we see him when he was playing witness looking for the Easter egg, making the phone call to the security agency he mentioned previously, the one that helped that sub-billionaire guy out with the dead model and the pallet of cocaine situation and he gives the passcode you may travel to the ends of the earth but i shall hold you always in my palm they get there in 19 minutes which is just enough time to save him and just to finish off his story quote i gave stella half of everything i don't care what her name was or who she is now someone owes her something and i'm delivering and part of me loves her so there's that life is not guaranteed to be comprehensible only comprehensive Magalos is on trial for kidnapping and just about everything else. I'm told he'll get about 50 to 60,000 years. <laughs> I've got a place on the coast. It's not grand, but it's very nice. I'm taking some time. I can wear a watch again, though mostly I don't. There's nowhere I urgently need to be. I let the sun tell me when to wake and when to go to bed. There's good white wine in the fridge. Ben Teasdale, he's Texan billionaire who, or Arizona or whatever. He was mentioned, mentioned briefly in the first chapter. He's the one who introduced Kyriakos to the Asian billionaire who gave him the card with the number for security. Ben Teasdale manages my money for me. He says he's doing good with it so far as that's possible with money. I do some mathematics, complex stuff. I'm very good at it. I'm working on a paper anonymously. It's about time. I can look at the Stark report. The numbers don't talk to me anymore. I miss Stella, the original and the new one. She writes occasionally. One day, perhaps she'll visit. I don't miss my shark. I think, I think this is a beginning. Okay. And that's our goodbye to Kyriakos. Athenaeus. She's angry as hell, <laughs> as always, after the Lern wrote in a coffin bit, disconsolate. She tries to tell the world that she made up the chamber, but it's too late. The lie is too big to disbelieve. Augustine shows up and proclaims that the chamber is fake. That seems to do the job. Or at least, I mean, that this particular chamber is fake, not that it was never real in the first place. And then, quote, 10 weeks later, I cut myself on a piece of sharp wood and the blood ran silver for a few seconds before the wound closed. So now I realize the choice is before me. I can reach out and call Adeodatus back. 
There's no right to it, no solemn invocation, no sacrifice. All those are paid and done. If I call him, he will come. I can put him back into the world, and the world will make room. After that, perhaps, there is an old man I might make young again, just for my own satisfaction. You're wondering whether I'm going to, or whether I will observe the solemn balance of, uni of the universe. You're an idiot. That's our goodbye to Athenaeus. Chapter 25 is titled Bekele. He emerges from the fire feeling pretty serene because he has the true knowledge of miracles twice and the chamber, of course. Annie emerges well and she's ready to fight. The next installment of the game witnessed is already planned. And Coulson, well, quote, Coulson is changed. There's a caution in him and a watchfulness that secretly alarms me. After the fire, there was a great upwelling of popular revulsion for the Georgian movement. That was the name for the nationalists that were being super racist to them and, and then ended up firebombing the house. Anyway, mm -hmm. great upwelling of popular revulsion for the Georgian movement, which, had pre which previously had been regarded by those not directly assailed by it as a nut house with a few wayward patients going over the wall to do mischief. When someone blows up a residential house with terroristic intent, though, even the most institutionally relaxed of persons may cry racism in a fray, and certainly all our government will, lest they be drawn by an astute local cartoonist shaking hands with the black shirt, or some indelible image that will ride them to an early political grave. But Coulson has changed. He has drawn apart from Annie a little way, though they still talk together about making the, most, the making of remarkable things. He does more security now, and he has lost his wariness about connectome monitoring. The Turnpike Trust, that shadowy non-governmental body, is under new management, though, and that can only be a good thing. It was bought by Teasdale Kyriakos Holdings of Delaware. I met them, a monkish Greek and a huge American cowboy. Constantine and I have not discussed the secret room, but I see him looking at me and I know that he knows, even if we will never speak of it. I gather their partnership is a new thing, and they have an eye to reforming the world. They started well enough. They went right ahead and fired everyone at Turnpike and cut ties with the government. Must have cost them t millions of pounds. I gather they don't give a damn. Teasdale is talking to Annie about next steps. Perhaps I'm finally discharging my grandfatherly duty of investment. Good for them. I think I will take my silly telephone number money in my best suit, and I will go see Adisa Baba again before it's too late. There are people I would like to embrace and forgive. I can't shake the feeling, too, that if I walk those streets long enough, I may see the face of my saint, and perhaps we might walk and talk. She is the only woman I have wanted to paint since Michael's mother died. Neath, chapter 26. Inspector Vendis, who we saw before, finishes re reviewing the recordings a second time, but there's no final mention of Neath. It's like she's disappeared, which strikes her as wrong because Bendis feels like we owe her so much. London's doing okay after the shutdown. Everyone's kind of going nuts about this recording, which is now public record, brought up by the desperation protocol. Shand, the bookseller, might be the first new prime minister. Quote, the inspector has instituted a search for names and permutations of the names from, cardinal, from the cardinal narratives and found their traces where one would expect. Although Annabelle Bekele appears to have been, she considers the word systematically and finds it fraught, erased from the digital record, surviving only in ballpoint scribbles on rare atavistic paper forms. The woman who apparently created the system, who betrayed it by creating the fire spine and then redeemed it in this impossible way, has completed her trick by disappearing entirely. Of Miliki Neath, the inspector can find no trace at all. 
She is a made thing and now unmade. The indisputable fact of Neith's non-existence does not alter Bendis's conviction, inappropriately cellular, felt in blood and bone, that the woman is owed much, much more. So what of Neith? Yeah. In the quiet dark of the Chamber of Isis, Mieliki Neith watches the cardinals depart. There is no drama in their passing, no flash of light. One moment she can see them, and the next, the universe just gets in the way. She finds herself alone with Hunter. Will they be all right? The question hangs in the air, and Neith feels silly. They weren't real, just dreams. But Temkin people to hide the virus, and yet she knew them. They were like friends. Hunter shrugs. And me, why am I still here? She thinks about it. I have nowhere to go back to, do I? No, Hunter agrees. You don't. She considers everything that has happened, from the rasping alarm of the, of the neon sign outside her flat in Piccadilly to this moment, her real life. How little of it made sense. How much was a trail of breadcrumbs to bring her to the middle of the maze? She says, he made me out of you. Smith made her, the real Smith. Nomon, after all, was Hunter's weapon. Yes, I'm afraid so. The counter narrative. And then I stole you, little by little, to do what you did. I changed your mind so that you were more like me. I thought I'd take you in after. But, but, another shrug. But you're you. Too much so. I can't be not me. I have to go back and be part of, well, of me, the original me. So what do I do? There is an understanding in the old woman's face, but no compassion. You stay here. Neith opens her mouth to say, in the dark, but Hunter is already gone. She stands alone in the dark forever because anything else would mean dying. She discovers that sitting is impossible. She wonders whether, if she stands here for long enough, she will simply lose track of the difference between herself and the dark and wonders what that will mean. Madness or divinity or disillusion, perhaps all of them. She hears the sound of a match and sees, illuminated in the flare, white hands and white lips, the collar of the sodden suit. Miliki Neith, I have the others, and we are leaving now. I thought you might care to come too. Come where? Out of here, of course. Out and up. How? I'm an escapologist, dear inspector, and this is my cleverest trick. After a moment, she takes the offered hand. Escapologist. Yeah. But the white hands, the white lips, the collar, the sodden suit, this is Lernrote. That's, yeah. Okay. And, and that, smoking, and was... smoking, yeah. Okay. The lighting of the match. So it turns out that Neith was the counter narrative all along. Neith is a counter? Yes. No mind. Oh, because that was so... the desperation protocol. Was, yeah. was Hunter's tool to put herself back together and destroy the system. Right. And if you think about what has Neith been doing this whole time, she's been investigating been... all of the narrative strands. She's been mm -hmm. trying to put Hunter back together. And by, by literally by being the observer, it create, it naturally makes her the counter narrative. Yeah. And I mean, you think about it, she worked for the witness, right? She was an operative without knowing it. She was created artificially in order to, and inserted right, because she's been stuck in her own semi-reality this whole time yes because she's a counter narrative yes that doesn't actually exist yes <laughs> but she became 
too much of a person and she couldn't just disappear with the rest of the universe. Plus she was in the chamber. And so Nomon comes to invite her along. Mm -hmm. Just a counter narrative that got out of control. Out of yeah. hand. <laughs> well, and, and basically transcended, right? Mm -hmm. Like stepped into the chamber. That's what the chamber is supposed to do. That's what the chamber was in the Nomon narrative. All right. Here's chapter 27. Nomon. And I just, I don't know if we should, I need to read this to you. I, I feel bad having this whole chapter in just oh. red verbatim. It's only, it's only two, it's only like a page, but mm -hmm. just, just in terms of like respect to the author, mm -hmm. I don't know if I should have this be part of this. On the, on the episode? On, yeah. Oh my but, goodness. Okay. But for you, I want to read it. So we'll, well, first, before I do this, and we should include this, I want to ask you, what is Nomon? What is Nomon? Yep. Chapter 27 is titled Nomon, and we've gone through this whole thing, and I just, I want to get through it. I think it's, it's important to have this conversation now. Um, I guess that, that's a good question. You can answer this question many, many times in many ways, so... Let's just pull through them. Start start with one. Well, okay. So the first the first Nomon I think of is the end of time Nomon collective lost yes. thoughts. The character. the post the post human character. Massive, yes. massive discarded thoughts. Yes. All of the thoughts that no one acted upon. And <laughs> and you know, ten thousand people joining together to survive the end of the universe. Yes. Yeah. But so these thoughts end up creating an amalgam of a person and yeah. he, he has a physical form and he can go and hang out with Zagreus on the planet. And many, many physical forms just jump mm -hmm. between bodies. Totally. Yep. Other gnomons, there's an, an art piece that has the metal thing sticking out of it. Yes. Very good. Uh, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So it was a, it was a painting by Barry Hoon. Bought by Kiriakos, mm -hmm. and it, it was a shark fin. It, it was a shark with the metal object being the fin stuck out at a right angle. And that's one of the literal definitions of gnomon, is a thing sticking out at a right angle from everything else. Okay. And yeah. it, it was swimming in a sea of numbers, floating like matrix screen computer code. So it was, it, you could say that it's the shark, or it's the painting, or it's the... Uh, the metal object sticking out at a, at a right angle for the, the literal definition. Any of these would be true. What else is Nomon? It's also, Nomon is the animated corpse of Anna Magdalena. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, a repurposed Anna Magdalena that, uh, that's the physical, the quote unquote physical body that meets Neith in Diana Hunter's home. Yes. And he's also the one that, kills smith smith he's ignored by the witness but remember but smith was killed by shark bites and that was all fiction anyway and that was all but all of that happened within neith's world reality yeah it's a little personal but, matrix. but yes learn was nomon or at least some manifestation of nomon we can yes. we can assume that much probably I think it's implied that Nomon is the shark. I think in so too. Yeah. Kyriakos's story. I would agree with that. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think of the djinn, the peacock demon in Athenaeus's story. Athenaeus. Okay. That's also Noman. I feel like there's like one more. There's a few more. I mean, you can go back to the literal definition and say it's it's a a person who knows things, who's in the know. Mm. But there are a few more. Any anything else that's coming to you? Not off the top of my head. All right. I've got one. It's the it's the title of this book. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, this is the uh-huh. title of the book. Yeah. And I think that's actually a, oh. a re- He's yeah. also the, the narrator. Yes, absolutely. But I think that the, the title of this book is a relevant one. I'm, I'm not just being glib here. I mm. think that helps interpret this last, this last chapter, this last page. So just wait for a moment before you read these last words. Wait and breathe out and remember everything that has passed. Know where you are and who and how far you have come. Wait another breath. Feel it in your mouth, your lungs. Feel it surround your heart. Let it go. Now, proceed. I am Noman. From this moment, so are you. Mm. The end. Ah. Uh, so that's why. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Interesting. Um, it's just I'm just processing through. Yeah. Okay. So. So it is a self-aware book that is <laughs> that is designed to wet jack you and turn you into yeah. Noman. Yeah. To make sure it never dies, because as long as something is remembered, it does not die. Yes. So that's that's why I had to do this book on this podcast was to to have you join me in <laughs> in the Noman Borg. <laughs> Oh, interesting. You, you've okay. had it. Remember, remember when you started ranting about time and the way that workplaces and bosses, you know, pin down this fluid abstract notion of time in order to control uh-huh. us? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's already started working. It's magic on you. It's made you more like me. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay guy (laughs) well that was interesting yeah so yeah i loved this book thanks for going on this journey with me yeah um it's kind of funny because i feel like i wanted something bigger but it was already i get it went i guess it went the the meta route instead of like yeah some big climax Mm-hmm. I guess that because like the climax was kind of revealing that Neith was the counter narrative. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and the you know destruction of the witness and of the system and all that. Like, right. Yeah. And so the the that bookshop kid guy opening the bookshop. Yeah. Was in the real real world. Yeah. So so, so do you, should we talk about sort of the, the piecing together the the meta story a little bit and how it all kind of, yeah. I mean, I think there's an element of cheekiness to this where it's like, well, even the quote unquote true story, it's still in the book. It's still fiction. <laughs> there, there's just been enough about books and the power of them. And, and, you know, the process of wet jacking and, and connectome altering and stuff like that, that I think that it, that is 
kind of a valid read to the whole thing. But there's also, you know, it did tell a coherent story outside of the meta narrative. But anyway, so I think we can take the events of the Bikalic chapters as more or less canon in the outside world mm. that she went along and ahead and into all the way up until basically the Neith chapters started are all events that happened. Yeah. In, yeah. I feel, yeah. yeah. In the outside. I feel world. like Athenaeus, Kyriakos and Berihun all happened. Yes. Athenaeus, I'm not sure about, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But Neith's perspective, like, Neith's character was so focused on these stories that the rest of the world didn't matter to her. Well, and you never, like, she doesn't have any childhood memories. She you know, there's no mention of, like, her family, her parents, anything like right. this. She was kind of thin as a character in, like, depth of character the whole time compared to, like, these rich voices of the uh-huh. sub the sub narrative characters and yeah so i all the way up to and including diana hunter's stroke under interrogation all actually happened and during the stroke when when smith goes in to sort of patch her brain together he inserts the counter narrative we're led to believe that that counter narrative is nomon no it's actually neith so yeah that's that's kind of my take on just uh-huh. it, i i don't think that that's like you know, tremendous insight or, or making any leaps or anything. The the real uh-huh. leap, I think, for me is my Jonathan Jones theory. But <laughs> yeah, because we that's like I mean, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Given that we don't get a real name for Jonathan. And also given that it's just so weird that she's so horny for this dude that she made She's so obsessed with him. Yeah. She's so obsessed with, with Jonathan Jones and if she is taking on the personality of Diana, who was with Coulson, yep. I think that checks out. I'm yeah. on board. I don't, I don't know what else there is to, to try and like definitively put together. There, there is a moment here, an interesting line where Noman basically starts rewriting stories. It kind of says in that chapter apocatastasis where everything kind of changes it's crashing together yeah Noman says i'm going to tear this universe apart and rewrite it the way i want it to be and then everybody gets a happy ending and i don't know how much of that is okay because because here's the other thing right there seems to be a separate Noman, separate from hunter because someone goes into the chamber and invites neath back after Hunter leaves, when Neith's all alone in there. Mm. You know, the universe that that she was born into has been destroyed. She has nowhere to go. And Nomon comes in and invites her to join the collective, basically. And so I don't know if Nomon is real, like, <laughs> you know, as, as real as anything is in this. Like, if the Nomon story is real, got visited into Annie at some point. And became part of her mental self, whether whether Nomon was actually dreamed up and created by Annie, and then the power of it create a life of its own, transcend the the universe of her mind and her stories, just like it said it would, and then 
through that introduced itself to Neith and, you know, they escaped together that way. But in, in some regard, in some fashion, Noman, I believe, does transcend Annabelle slash Diana. Yeah. Noman is kind of like a living concept. And so maybe that's the thing is that Noman is the book. And all of these yeah. things are fictions of the book. I mean, this is this is the point where trying to get too literal about it is just splitting hairs. You know, we've got like the 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 thrust of it. We understand yeah. what the story is about and what it means. And so trying to be too literal about the plot is, is kind of missing the forest for the trees. But for it's sure. fun to talk about yeah. anyway. The only so I guess the only thing that I didn't like about the introduction of Noman the character. Yeah. Is his like like origin story at the end of time. Yeah. I guess the definition of where it comes from, of discarded thoughts of 10,000 people. Yeah. I would imagine it to be way more powerful than the like meddler that it became, I <laughs> guess. Because I alone have so many discarded thoughts. <laughs> Get get 10,000 of me and throughout time, like my life, the discarded thoughts of my life (laughs) of the thought, all the thoughts that I've not had in these 36 years, all the, all the, uh, everything that you've tried to repress and push down and deny. Yeah. Not even including all the thoughts that I'm going to have (laughs) over the next 40, 50, 60 years, if I'm lucky, right? Like, 10,000 of those, yeah. that many thoughts compressed into one now conscious being. Yeah. Just, I feel like the characterization of that Nomon feels weak. Thin, if, yeah. If that thin, yeah. Because only 10,000 people at the end of time, sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> in this, in this ha- no house. Yeah. Okay, fine, whatever. But at the end of time, that character Nomon, that physical Nomon, has the capability to travel through space, yeah. to go and visit a planet that is all one singular consciousness. Mm-hmm. And they are basically, you know, opposites, which is cool. Yeah. You know, like thousands of consciousnesses into one versus one in thousands of pe- beings. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But like they're antagonism towards each other that translates into Regno and Oliver Smith yeah doesn't fully click for me okay so here's here's my here's my take on because the Zagreus Smith thing is is, is something I've thought about quite a bit <laughs> I I think there's an argument to be made that Zagreus is the planet Zagreus is basically the end state of the witness like mm you are drawing individual individuality down so much that these people are are basic don't have everybody's basically controlled like clockwork in some sort of central you know central consciousness mm-hmm. there's no there's no freedom within individuals everybody is you know kind of doing their predetermined thing then right. it also spreads infectiously it's it's this sort of perfect fascist state in a sense and I think that is sort of what Zagreus represents and how, how the connection between Zagreus and Smith works. Okay. It doesn't fully, I guess like, because it's not just 
it, it's funny. A lot of this really reminds me of Powers of Ten and the the far, far future conflict between the mutants and the phalanx. Like, Zagreus is the phalanx and the mutants are Nomon in a sense. Like, yeah, they've sort of been chopped up into these weird hybrids of of characters that we know, but like through their multiplicity, they still in, retain individuality. Whereas the phalanx are just full like hive mind. Like they, yeah. it, it's just the complete destruction of the individual. I, I think I read both of similar times and that's, that's kind of just stuck with me <laughs> the whole way. So that, that's kind of, that's kind of how I understand the conflict between the two is that Nomon really represents individuality even though they're 10,000 people they have this very individualistic urge to survive even the most impossible things yeah like a uh, the end of the universe freedom yeah <laughs> yes totally yeah it sucks because i hate that my hang-up is on these two characters that are pivotal to like plot points mm, yeah but Overall, I still really liked the story. It was, yeah. it's just, if I'm just going with the flow of the story, it totally works. Mm-hmm. When I look back on it, I'm like, well, why did, why, or how does that make sense? And, and, and that's kind of where it starts to get muddled up. But like yeah. the journey has been fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is definitely the kind of thing, like it was much more fun to me reading it and wondering what's going on and what everything means as it was happening then at the end of it once it spelled out like it was kind of easy right. to be like oh okay once it's all together <laughs> but yeah but i don't want any that to distract from the process of how much i absolutely loved being like what the fuck is all right. this yeah and honestly like i feel like all stories are like that. Yeah. And it's funny because it wasn't like a, a particularly pat or determined ending. There's still like some room for interpretation. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like we're just kind of used to that now with because that's how like every comic arc is. Yeah. You know, there's this really interesting buildup, really crazy stakes, and then it all somehow six months worth of storytelling gets solved in 20 pages. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you're just like, eh, all right. And you're like, it, well, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. It helps diffuse so much tension from even future stories. Cause you can just kind of watch and like, I, I really have a hard time, especially, I think this is my biggest problem with watching MCU movies at home, for example, instead of in the theaters is like, if there's any moment to like tune out a little bit, I can always fall back on like, well, it's going to be fine. (laughs) 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 You you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Oh man. I love the MCU. Like I enjoy these movies, but if, if I'm not, if there's like a moment of being less invested in it, it, it makes it, it's really easy to snowball the other way. Mm -hmm. For sure. Anyway, absolutely. That would be an incredible. That that would be an incredible segue to Eternals, but we don't have time to do that this week. Yeah, let's not do that to Nipsey. (laughs) We're already taking out so much of his time. Maybe next week. But yeah, next week let's let's talk some Eternal stuff. Cool. And anything we haven't done an MCU catch up in quite a while. Maybe we should. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Oh, we did. We did a little segment on Wandavision way back when. That's true. 
that was a while ago. But that was pretty much it. Like honestly, of of everything that's come out in phase four, I feel like Eternals for you and I has the most to talk about because yeah. it's it's very much an exploration of MCU history and it kind of reframes some stuff from the first three phases. And I think it's worth talking about. It's also the deepest dive into like real deep cuts of comics that they've ever done. Like you could kind of argue that Guardians of the Galaxy was a pretty deep cut when they plucked it out. Yeah, for sure. But Eternals, I would say, even more so. Like yeah, Guardians absolutely. was Guardians was on its way up at that time within the comics. Guardians Guardians made a name for itself. Iron Man was a random choice also to really <laughs> kick off the MCU. Biggest guy they had to rights now. to. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> but like just saying that yeah, now, knowing know. how big of a deal RDJ is as Tony Stark. And and also, yeah, like I guess like Civil War was before the MCU started. So like he had already kind of started to to become a frontline character in the comics, but like before that, like it just his biggest thing was Demon in a Bottle and Armor Wars. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which Armor Wars, I guess they're doing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I, I Demon don't know the bottle was Iron Man 2. Yeah. I don't know the um the comics story of Armor Wars at it's all. Just, so. I mean it, they just use it as an excuse to it's just armors. A bunch they, of they, they, they go to war. Yeah. Crimson Dynamo and, okay. and other well, that's fun. types. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> But yeah, so let's let's talk Eternals next next week. I might yeah. I might actually watch it again um, oh, before cool. before we meet up. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff that sticks out to me, but it might be fun to just kind of peruse it. Like mm-hmm. I'll have it in the background while I work or something. Sounds good. But yeah, so next week I think I'm only reading like three books because I've read like 20 in the last three weeks. So <laughs> um, I'm gonna slow down for a second. Okay. I'm do. I am hyped on them though. It's fucking. We've got Avengers up in here and the Return of the Phoenix, King Deadpool. We're going back there. That'll be fun. Nice. And Fantastic Four. All three of them touch on King and Black, but no more than like the Union did or <laughs> yeah, or some of these other ones that we just that we just did. So yeah, it's going to be King and Black adjacent, but we're going to we're finally moving forward with six one six again. Well, I will finally be moving forward with my 90s X-Men project. I've got a grab bag of X-Men comics that I've read over the past few weeks. And who knows what I'll get to and what I don't. That's kind of always been the my mode of going forward with this. But I'm, I'm probably, I'm certainly not going to do burn through everything that I've read in one show. So we'll, we'll yeah. see how much we have time for and what feels like a good stopping point. Excellent. Cool. Well then, with well, that, then. I will see yes. you next week. See you next week. Yes. We're going to put the outro music <gasps> here. Do recording things without all of the things. The social <laughs> like saying after music every single week. So on. <laughs> <laughs>